Okay. We don't have a quorum, but we can go ahead and get started with the study session. Okay. That sounds great. Uh, good evening. Uh, my name is uh, Pat Collette, and I'm standing in for uh, Nick for the chair and the and the co-chair. This is the September seventh meeting of the MMTC. Um, I'll read the this initial information here. Um, this meeting will be held in a hybrid format, which means attendees can choose whether to attend in person or virtually by Zoom. Multimodal transportation commissioners will be. No. virtual or in person. Some staff will be present in the room while others will per participate virtually. Virtual participation will continue to be allowed for any participant, including staff, board, and commission members and the public. City Commission meeting room layout has been adapted to accommodate hybrid meetings. Ania's chairs will be separated by six feet of distance and the City Hall lo lobby will also be set up for a limited number of members of the public to view meetings in person. Uh, this is not true anymore. <laughs> the, those who want to provide public comment may continue to do so virtually or by attending the meeting in person. In-person participants may, this, that doesn't apply either. Um, written public comment must be received by the Municipal Services and Operations Department by 12 p.m. on the day of the meeting. Um, I'll leave out that last part in terms of contact. So, um, We'll uh, go ahead and get started. We have a, a, a study study session uh, planned just to uh, kick off uh, on crossing improvements, uh, and we'll receive a presentation from Trek Design Group. Yep, thanks, uh, Dave Cronus, the engineer. So um, earlier this year, we provided a draft scope of work um, to proceed on looking at uh, guidelines and policy regarding crossing improvements, and so Trek Design Group is here tonight uh, to give. Uh, a presentation on the progress that, that they've made so far. Um, and so we've got um, Tom Nugent here in person and um, Stephen Edwards online. And um, with that, I'll just turn it over to them to take it away. Yep, you can get up there. Hello, I'm Tawn Nugent, and I just want to thank you for giving us the opportunity to be here tonight. We're going to give you a presentation, and when I say we, I mean Stephen, and I'm here to answer questions in person and um, holler at me if, if we need to slow Stephen down. Um, I do want to introduce him quick because he is definitely the expert, um, not just at Trek, but across the country on topics of this. So he came from the city of Memphis, who's a transportation administrator there, so he, he understands Dave's role and the challenges we're, we're facing here. He's also a NACTO representative that has traveled across the country looking at these types of problems and, and finding solutions and given quite a bit of um, presentations across the country. So with that, I'll let him uh, wax on here about some of these things and uh, share with you what we found so far. Thanks. Thank you. Um, yeah, Stephen, are you uh, on and unmuted? And you should be able to share your screen as well. So, can you hear me now? We can, thanks. All right. Um, so, and am I not sharing my screen? Because it states I am. You are. Yep. yep. All right. Can you, you guys can see the uh, presentation? Yes. All right. Awesome. Thank you, David. 
Uh, I think I've skipped a slide here. All right. So uh, thank you, everybody, for having us. Um, despite you know several years of these virtual presentations now, I, it seems like we still stumble every single time we do one. Um, to start this process off, uh, Trek has reviewed the existing guidelines and the existing conditions uh, for Lawrence, Kansas, and then we we applied that to kind of figure out our starting points of what we needed to address and how we needed to adapt the system. Um, with the existing conditions, uh, the existing guidelines provided in the Lawrence Bikeway Design Guide provides a great foundation for direction on types of facilities and how to use them, but does not provide specific information regarding the application and design of these facilities. The City of Lawrence Complete Streets Policy and corresponding checklists provide additional guidance and a formal process to ensure all aspects of street design are appropriately considered. Both documents rely on the designer's subject, subjective judgment on determining the appropriate tool for the project. And so um, if you see these uh, items up on the screen, I'm sure all of you have, have seen these numerous times in your role. Uh, you, you have these the tables and these uh, these guides that uh, give you within these bounds, you can make these decisions and these selections. And that gives you the flexibility to, to adapt to a context, but it sometimes makes it hard to make a, a firm decision as to why you're gonna use something in one place over why you would use it in another place. So using that as our first step, we then did a peer review looking at uh, three uh, cities, Fayetteville, Arkansas, Columbia, Missouri, and Boulder, Colorado. Uh, these cities were chosen because they are all college towns. They have a very similar population to Lawrence and land-wise, their, their land area, the amount of square miles they take up is, is fairly comparable. Uh, these uh, areas were also all rated by uh, the People for Bike system and walk uh, the walk score system. So you have some independent agencies that are doing ratings and like uh, addressing how each city is applying different methodology. Um, these cities, uh, all Boulder, Colorado ranks very high in most of these facets. And so it was a great place to kind of uh, adapt, look at and understand how we can address and grow uh, the facilities there in Lawrence. So looking at this, each one of these cities did provide uh, specific guidance on how to design uh, the infrastructure in the street. And they also provided very specific guidance on how to apply these tools and where to apply these tools. So the decision for when to apply approving countermeasures are supported by tools such as the chart that you see on your screen now. This level of specific guidance when coupled with design standards provides a city with a starting point for budgeting a project and the designers the needed tools to address the problems identified within the project limits. Additionally, these tools help to ensure consistent and effective implementation efforts. So this specific guidance is what you need uh, for the consistency in your system and consistency is very important for the safety of the overall system. This also has uh, certain uh, cost benefits overall to the city, because if you have very specific guidelines, 
then the, the review process for the city becomes a little bit less onerous um, and it, it things can move a little quicker. The projects can accelerate and their delivery because they have a very set guideline on how they're going to move through the process. We in this presentation, you know, this is really a kind of an introductory introduction to the project and the overall um, view from these from a high level. So we looked at several different areas and we have some uh, general recommendations on uh, that we think Lawrence should look at uh, to apply moving forward. Uh, for pedestrian crosswalks, you have uh, looking at using continental high visibility crosswalks. Uh, that's the markings here in the center. Uh, those are typically six to 10 feet uh, markings, and usually it's recommended to use those at arterial and collector road crossings. And so uh, the, the width of those crosswalks is typically dependent upon the volume of pedestrians crossing the space. So if you have a lot more people crossing, you want them to be able to fit within those the boundaries of that crosswalk. So you make it a little bit wider. Another aspect that you look at for the width of a crosswalk is the visibility down the road. So on hillier roads, or if you have uh, corners and you lack, you lose the visibility of that crosswalk, you make it a little bit wider so you can see it from further away. Um, the standard transverse markings, which are up top, which is the typical crosswalk for, for most cities across the nation, uh, using those on lower volume intersections or using them uh, along minor road crossings along the arterial. So if you're going down the arterial and you have those uh, local roads that are intersecting and you have a high volume of pedestrians in those areas, using the transverse markings on those crossings make makes sense. It's not a signalized intersection. Uh, on a neighborhood street within the, a, an actual like residential neighborhood, uh, typically you're not going to apply crosswalk markings. Uh, the, the cost and the time to apply crosswalk markings and to keep them up in a neighborhood, the volume and the speed in those streets should be so low that it's, it's not a, a as needed for the visibility of the pedestrians and the movement and the, how everything is functioning within that environment. And the last item on this slide is the idea of using pedestrian, uh, leading pedestrian intervals, which is a signal timing method to allow the pedestrian to enter the crosswalk. You provide several uh, seconds of time for the pedestrian to be in the crosswalk, typically four to six seconds, uh, depending on the width of the street for the pedestrian to, to officially establish themselves in the crossing before you allow any type of adverse movement. That, that leading pedestrian interval can be extended to longer periods of time if you have a lot of turning vehicles. So if you have a lot of left turning vehicles or if you're prohibiting right-hand turns and you have a lot of right turns across that and you're trying to make sure that you don't have those uh, conflicting movements during that, that time. Uh, shared use path crossings are um, a very, they, they change based off of where they are placed. So on the screen, you see I have a 12 foot continental high visibility crosswalk crossing. Uh, the federal guidance for uh, shared use paths is for them to be 12 feet wide. Um, 
most cities are, have stayed at 10 feet. Uh, they started off at eight feet, they grew to 10 feet. And then um, one of the more recent federal guidance came out for the 12 foot. Most cities have stayed at a 10 foot uh, width, but when you get into the street area, changing that crosswalk to 12 feet, because you do not want um, movements, the opposing movements to uh, impact each other too much in that crossing pattern. So that extra that extra move space gives you, especially for bicycles traveling in opposite directions, it gives you enough room for them to kind of uh, adjust to each other, not slow down too long. That keeps the entire signal efficiency up and also makes it uh, safer crossing. Your signage changes based off of the um, context of the crossing. If you're at a signalized intersection, your signage is going to be different than a mid-block crossing. Um, and your, your markings, your stop bars, if you see in this picture, you see the stop bars a little bit further away from the crosswalk. At mid-block crossings, if you have multi-lanes, you're going to move the, cross, the stop bars back 20 feet to 50 feet away from the crosswalk to allow visibility past the other vehicle. So um, this vehicle here, if it was stopped and this other vehicle was traveling towards the intersection and this person's crossing, this person would not have visibility of the of the person entering this crosswalk if you had your stop bar in the standard four foot spacing away from the, the actual crossing. So that extra space gives additional visibility to the other lanes of traffic. Um, at an intersection, if you have a shared use path crossing directly at an intersection, a good guideline is to always have a separated phase of the signal for that crossing. So as people approach from both directions, they will have their own phase of the signal to cross the, that intersection. The intersections may have to be modified based off of volume of turns, the vo overall volume of the system and how, how everything works together. Um, typically, if you give a shared uh, separate phase for that, the overall signal system often works better because that that time that the pedestrian is usually added into your green your green light for the the road traffic that goes down and so the the overall signal functions at a faster cycle time and it it just functions a little bit nicer so uh, as we continue working through this process we are going to develop a more specific guidance on how to address this in these different contexts Overall bicycle facility standards. Uh, so how do you stripe these facilities? Uh, this is straight from the NACTO design bike design guideline. Um, this manual is is a, uh, I guess, a national best practice. A lot of this was rolled into a lot of the FHWA and AASHTO guidance that has come out regarding bicycle design. The Determination whether how much your buffer space you use is something that uh, having specific guidelines for this is something that will help with that design review process and how you're applying something standard throughout the city. So in one case, you're using uh, something that's less than a three foot spacing and you do not have to put these hatch marks or chevrons in those mark in those spaces because less than three feet does not require that for visibility purposes. Once you start expanding that, then they want to make sure that people understand that that's not something they're supposed to enter into. 
Um, a two, like less than three feet or a two foot marking uh, spacing allows you to just do white lines, which allows you to run your, your paint trucks up and down the street. The application is way faster, um, but your costs for that actual implementation goes down also. So you're able to get a facility in place quicker and you're also able to uh, adjust that funding. So if you want to spend that money on uh, armadillos, which are a, a small device that separate that it's kind of like a small rubberized device that can go between the markings. It gives you a vertical de delineation and also provides you some type of hard barrier uh, that if they're put in correctly, if a car strikes them, it actually pushes the car back into the travel lane. Um, there, there's a number of different devices that you can use to provide that additional delineation. And that money can come from just removing uh, the chevrons. It's, it's not a dollar to dollar basis, but it, it makes it a, a more economical choice to go with that. So as we're developing these, we'll also look at um, bicycle facility standards, making sure that uh, we have specific guidelines on, on how the bicycle facilities, cycle tracks, uh, any of these methods and these paint types are used and applied in the street. One of uh, everybody's favorites are green bicycle crossings. So um, we adopted them here um, back in 2014. Uh, we started applying uh, green markings throughout our major intersections. Um, We've had a number of, uh, there were some times where people uh, didn't think there was enough bicyclists on the road and they didn't understand why uh, you're building bicycle facilities everywhere uh, or like why the, the, the extra cost for these things. And uh, I think one of my favorite calls was a, a lady who was really happy that we identified the crosswalk on her street with the extra green markings to make it very visible as she crossed the street before they even got to the crosswalk. She thought it was kind of a buffer to give additional attention to the pedestrian environment. And so the, the bicycle facilities and the, these markings also provide a pedestrian benefit by you know, making everybody more aware of the environment that they're crossing. Our, our general recommendation for these green markings uh, for them to make sense and for them to be a, a cost-effective safe solution for you is you don't want green markings everywhere. If you place them everywhere, then they become secondary nature. Everybody's so used to them that they no longer have their impact for the that natural reaction to the visibility of them. They become, you know, everyday things. And so you want to place them on, on locations that have high volumes, have high conflict. So any of your arterial intersections, so longer arterials, all your arterials that meet other major streets or major collectors, you would want to have green markings for those crossings. If you have a bicycle facility on a local road that's crossing one of these high volume roads, you would want that to be green. That way it brings out the you know, brings the attention to, of the driver to that and also aware, makes it the bicyclist aware that they're going to be crossing an area that's going to have higher car volumes. Moving um, the application um, that we're recommending is a continental style uh, marking. So you would have a two foot stripe similar to a, a continental crosswalk, but in between you would have a six foot gap. 
And this type of application, uh, because the bicycles are traveling at a faster speed, you don't need all the markings to be as close together. Um, and the research has shown that these are just as visible as full green markings, but they last so much longer. And the cost of these is about 63% less than the traditional marking methodologies. So if you place these out there, you can, you can do these more economically. Uh, one of your other benefits to this is that it doesn't look exactly like a continental crosswalk along the same road. So if you have people that are uh, colorblind or have any type of color sensitivity, they will not confuse those two uh, crossings, um, which um, has obviously come up a number of times based off of a, some FHWA safety training I've been through. Uh, they, they, FHWA has now come in recommending the, this variation in style. Um, when you go to lower volume crossings, so uh, collectors meeting other collectors, or high volume uh, driveways along arterials. So if you have a, an arterial that has a entrance to a, a shopping mall, if those things still exist today, or high volume gas stations uh, using chevrons to mark those, it's a, it's a cheaper alternative to the green and it's a lower incidence uh, area. So you're, you're still bringing awareness to them, but you're not drawing away from the impact of that overall green paint. Uh, another item that uh, David brought up um, during our conversations was prohibiting right turns on red. So um, a number of cities across the nation have been looking at um, changing this method. As you can see on the slide, this was really started back in the 70s as a fuel saving methodology for um, during the oil embargo days. And so um, the ability to, this was really just to increase the volume of cars that are going through. A lot of our streets now have been designed to where they only function well if you have that right turn on red capability. And so there's some different changes that you have to do with the signal timing and, and um, e even the, the space that holds the vehicles on the street. So um, I there's a number of cities that have um, prohibited right turns on red across the nation, but it's exceptionally few. Uh, New York City is one of the only places that it has been in law and has been that way for a number of years. Most states um, require you to have special signage and special, uh, even possibly special lighting if you're choosing to do a right turn on red. So you have to have a, a red arrow signal up like on a shared use path, if you're not allowing people to turn right across that shared use path a lot of times. So um, where you're gonna look at prohibiting right turns on red are areas with high pedestrian volumes. Uh, any type of crossing with uh, more vulnerable users like children, older pedestrian, pedestrians or persons with disabilities. Um, intersections adjacent to shared use paths uh, or with an exclusive pedestrian phase. So during that, that leading pedestrian interval, you would have a no turn on red. Uh, you would need a sign stating that and, and possibly a, a signal uh, indicating that. Or any place where a sight distance may be an issue for vehicles approaching from the left uh, of that crossing. 
So the, the benefits are, are stated here on the on the um, slide. So there, there's a improved safety benefit for bicycles and, and pedestrians um, where they show that the right turn on red actually increases the pedestrian and bicycle crashes by 40, 44 to 49, 59% um, respectively. Now your challenges, as I was stating towards the beginning of this, is that that space that you have for the cars to be parked there waiting for the signal to progress. And so if you have vehicles sitting in space for too long, a lot of times those people will start running lights. And so you have to address your phasing and your timing to make sure that everybody at the signal is going to be behaving in a, a reasonable and rational manner. Um, you also have additional vehicle conflicts with pedestrian crossings during green without exclusive pedestrian phases. And uh, you have uh, additional signage and signal devices. So um, a lot of these changes happen on your roads based off of what's called a road diet or a lane reduction process. Uh, you're doing something where you're changing the actual street itself. Um, this is uh, from TDOT. TDOT has a, an overall guideline. The Tennessee Department of Transportation has an overall guideline on how to reduce a four lane to a three lane street. Uh, this was actually borrowed from the city of Seattle and this same um, flow process is actually now used. I think what we've uh, found was 28 cities and 13 states are using this for the road diet process. Uh, so engineers and planners, we all like to borrow from each other quite a bit. So this is a uh, something that uh, we would recommend to Lawrence in adapting, understanding the impacts of their city uh, to the city infrastructure on how you're changing from a four lane cross section to a three lane. Uh, you would do something similar for a six lane to a five lane cross section. So that's changing from four travel lanes, two in each direction to one travel lane in each direction and a two way left turn lane in the center or two travel or a, the, with the six lane, you'd have three travel lanes in each direction to two travel lanes in each direction with one left turn lane in the center. Um, that has been shown to be a far safer and actually a far more efficient way of vehicles to travel uh, because you reduce weaving movements and conflict points throughout the process. So um, we do recommend uh, adapt, adopting a specific road diet process to move forward and um, understanding the impacts of that. And there could be additional information to provide for uh, public meetings about the actual impacts and the uh, the benefits of doing these type of conversions throughout the city. Um, and a, another item to think on is interim design strategies. So as you're resurfacing roads, that's your fastest and easiest way to start retrofitting your streets in your city. Um, as you're retrofitting, you're changing to bike facilities, you're, you're modifying these streets. So both of these streets were four lane roads that have been modified to two lanes with bike facilities and parking. Um, this was an old uh, industrial area and actually was where all the car lots were years ago. Uh, this is right by Sun Studios in Memphis. And 
this was a just a resurfacing project that was worked on with a uh, private foundation that provided all the private money to do all everywhere you see red, all the planters and everything. And uh, this was designed and placed. The city did all the white and the yellow striping, which would be what we would have typically done at that time. And the private group hired a contractor that went through the, the land development process to do the rest of these uh, installations. What this allows is you to retrofit a street. This was designed and implemented in less than four months. Um, went through a public process, everything went in place. This was all built. Uh, the additional cost to the standard resurfacing budget was uh, $293,000 uh, for all the other materials. This is about four and a half miles of roadway total that they were able to do this on. And if we were to build this and you're moving all the curbing gutter, um, the, the cost would have been in the millions upon millions of dollars to do this same type of design. This area at that time had no development. Um, it was pretty much all empty. And now um, I, I didn't include a new picture in here. This uh, we won all kinds of awards from Congress of New Urbanism for this project, but the um, that's where I got the picture from. But the, this area now has been completely redeveloped. There's not an empty building on site. Every hole has been filled in. Um, it's full of people all the time. And so it's a this is one way where as you're changing the context of the streets and you're developing something that's safer for pedestrians and everybody that you can do these these interim design techniques, do them quickly. This is using a material that's used uh, in Chicago and New York City, a number of places, and a lot of these installations have been in for over 10 years now, and the maintenance has been exceptionally minimal. And so while we say that these are interim and they these are temporary, these things actually last a long time. And in New York City, they do this. Uh, they actually have no intention of ever replacing these because their snow plows wouldn't be able to go up and down the street if you move the curb. So they built these to where the snow plows can operate and then they, they, they just go out there, they move all the planters and they put the planters back once the plowing's all done. So th there's different applications that you can do and it makes it easier to run through. So the next steps that we have on our project is to review and incorporate any comments from this group and other uh, groups that are provided by Lawrence. Uh, we're gonna develop the bicycle and pedestrian facility design standards and finalize policy recommendations. And then we'll be back in about a month to present again uh, our final recommendations and standards for, for your review and comment and proceed from there. Do we have any questions? Any questions from commissioners? I have a couple. Um, the first one, um, you know, in looking at the, the charts that were listed at the beginning of the presentation, I was wondering if it's possible to have some um, a few examples, like three or four or five of, of intersections uh, in Lawrence that would have the traffic counts and the pedestrian counts so that we could have an idea of where those would fit in those criteria for those different applications. Okay, so uh, just doing a couple of uh, demonstration locations where we could run through, we can provide recommendations and then develop a couple of uh, conceptual demonstrations 
that you can see how they would be applied and Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's difficult to, you know, to look at the, at the graphs and know, <laughs> you know, what those thresholds are and if we're anywhere near those in certain intersections and, and for the different kinds of treatments, what that, what that recommendation would look like. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah. We can, we've, we've looked at this before and used this as a guideline on other things that we've done. I think when we looked at the, uh, the crossing at 7th in Tennessee, we kind of looked at, you know, does this fit, fit the criteria for an RFB? Mm -hmm. So that's that's an example, but I um, I think we, we could do that um, looking at, looking at uh, the crossing guidance with different examples and maybe provide that at the next meeting. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. Thank you. Um, the other question I had, I'm uh, intrigued with the right turn on red. Um, <clears throat> Um, information and um, just wondered in the if there's if there are any data that uh, in terms of compliant you know vehicle compliance with the right turn on red um, do we know anything about anything about that um, in, in cities where they've where it's been implemented so in New York City uh, it's, uh, I think they say there, there's a, about a 92% compliance. So you have about 8% of drivers and, and there with as many drivers, that's, that's quite a few people that are, you know, not obeying, mm -hmm. uh, but they also have exceptionally stringent, um, you know, uh, penalties for like, if you do, don't do that. Mm -hmm. And they also have officers that, that that's all they do is they sit out there and they're dealing with like certain parking issues and turning violations and uh, like how taxi cabs are operating. So they have an enforcement division that's specifically geared towards dealing with some of those things. And when they, they set that up and they started these new processes, when they did speed cameras and a number of other things, they have like a three to four month period where they are just they're, they're on top of everything for that time period to make sure that everybody understands this is what they should be doing. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, it, it's a difficult thing because you can't design it to function right. You're hoping that people are follow, following what they should be following. Um, and then it gets into the trick of, uh, of enforcement. It's not something that you can design engineering wise to force people to do it. It, it then travels into an enforcement issue. Great, thank you. We have a um, question from uh, Commissioner Bryan on online. Uh, Charlie, would you like to go ahead? Uh, you're muted, I think, maybe. Can you hear me now? Yeah. Okay, Charlie Bryan, MMTC. Uh, my question is, uh, I, I really appreciate having the uh, the chart that kind of explains the right kind of how to use the right um, facility type for pedestrian crossings, but I was expecting something similar maybe for the um, bicycle facility types. And I wasn't sure did I miss that or is that going to be in the final product? Um, that that things of that nature will be in the final product. Um, this was more of an introduction to the program okay. and to make sure that we understood what what everybody from Lawrence really wants to see out of this. 
Um, I didn't want to come in and start giving you a whole bunch of you should do this, this, and this, and it not be the community really telling us what what you want there. Um, we got to make it fit towards your your community and what you what you see and what you need. Okay, I appreciate that. Um, I think if there was uh, guidance on that was similar uh, for the bicycle facility types, that could be useful. Um, specifically, one situation we've kind of uh, recognized we're in is that we have made the decision to move away from uh, on-street bike lanes on higher uh, speed limit roads um, with the idea that it's safer to direct people to use shared use paths. So <clears throat> we, we've we done that and then more recently recognized that the uh, national um, recognition program for bike-friendly cities um, essentially penalizes us for having for not you know continuing to invest in on bike on street bike lanes because there's a ratio that they track and we're we're far from hitting the level that it would take to get to the next uh i think we're at bronze and to get to silver we'd have to do a lot more on street bike lanes so there's been this debate in the community about the appropriateness of um you know what's been called the white stripe you know, bike lane. And I think if if there's any guidance that you can provide on that, it would be uh, certainly helpful in helping us um, kind of decide what's the right way to go forward with a facility type that is probably really useful for people that are comfortable on the road, but maybe doesn't encourage a lot of more cautious cyclists. Um, and we're, we're kind of just choosing between those two instead of providing both options. Um, so maybe if there's some input you can provide on that, it would be helpful. And then, um, oh, go ahead if you want to respond to that. Yeah, I, I was just real briefly. So the um, Bicycle Friendly Communities is a great group. Uh, People for Bikes that runs that. My, my previous bicycle pedestrian coordinator is actually over their local programs process. Um, so that, the, that rating system works well in some cases, but it doesn't work well everywhere. So um, there are great things that you can pull from them. And I've, I have had the opportunity to actually go on study tours with them over to the Netherlands and uh, to Norway. We went through Copenhagen, looking at how different things are designed. But that, that design type doesn't necessarily always fit somewhere. And it may fit in certain cities, but in your city, it may be better to have something that doesn't necessarily fit their model. And their model, it just doesn't apply everywhere. So it's it's great to sometimes be able to say like, oh, well, we've hit Silver City or you know Gold City. I think there's only a couple of Platinum Cities at this point. Right. But ultimately, your goal is to have great facilities for everybody, all ages users to function and for the, the bicycle and pedestrian system to function the same way the car system does for everybody. You want everybody to be able to make whatever choice they want to move however they choose to move in the city and provide the resources in that way. So we, we can look at it and I can look at uh, what your score is and what your, um, you know, where you may be, uh, where they say you're lacking and, and I can give them a call since I know most of them and just uh, see what their guidance is and where, they, where they've where they been pointing, pointing Lawrence to go and just 
give give you a very clean and clear idea as to whether that's that's something that they do that that they believe because it's their their national model and if that really applies for you guys okay um, i'd appreciate that i feel like what we've kind of been facing is a choice between two different types of cyclists and you know we hear it we hear the community tell us you know these aren't safe we don't want to use them but we also hear people saying putting a bike uh, a, a really you know skilled cyclist on a shared use path is not their preference so it feels like the only way to accommodate all users as you suggest would then be to provide both facility types which becomes um an issue of cost yeah. so well, it's the, those those high level riders, which I, I think I'm kind of in that group. I'll ride on a high volume street without bicycle facilities at all. Um, you know, I, I ride in the right hand lane and I understand how to interact around cars without getting scared and how everybody's going to react to me. And then, you know, your city itself over time also grows that awareness of how everybody should act around each other. And if maybe, you know, some point in time, you can get it into your driver's education program on how drivers react to uh, bicycles. That's always a, a wonderful like day that everybody alike kind of comes on with everyone. Um, but like the the bicycle facilities on street, just the, the white lines don't apply for like a major road. If you have a street that's got a high volume and is over 45, 45, 40 miles per hour, Putting a white line out there is just simply to say that you have a bike facility to, to check a box. It doesn't really provide any type of, of true, true protection or true system for the person that's in it. And so that person, like whether they're, you know, in the lane with the car or if they're riding, you know, what would end up being like a foot and a half away from a car, it's not that big of an impact other than you know, just saying, like, if you have the extra space and you want to do that, then that's fine. It, it works more as a wayfinding system at that time than it does as a protective facility or a facility that's really going to encourage bicycle riding. Well, I, I appreciate your comments on that. Um, we've also had some discussion with uh, people that have come to us about the appropriateness of shares versus lanes. So any any guidance you could provide on that could be really helpful to us. Um, I had another question I wanted to just ask more specifically about the Lawrence Loop, which is a trail that essentially um, goes about 20 miles uh, around the uh, pr primarily kind of the perimeter of the city. And it has several crossings and there's a lot of concern about the perception of safety and actual safety of those crossings. And one suggestion we've heard from uh, people in the community is that we should use the green um, paint to make those more visible crossings. And, um, you know, what I'm hearing you say, and I've heard staff say that the green paint needs to be reserved for um, facility types that are exclusive to bicycles. And those trails are shared use paths primarily. So um, do you have recommendations on trail crossing specifically? 
Uh, yes, and, and we'll give very specific guidelines for like the shared use path crossings because that, that gets very detailed whether they're mid-block or at an intersection and the, the various contexts that you're dealing with with that. But yeah. typically the white markings, like white or green markings, neither of those is more visible than the other. Um, your, your width of the space, like making sure that it's wide enough for that crossing and for the interaction and the volume of crossing. Um, that matters. Uh, the placement of the stop bars, the placement of signage um, before that, uh, you can get into the case where maybe you have um, RFBs, uh, so the rapid rectangular flashing beacons up at those crossings based off the volumes or changing to a pedestrian hybrid beacon or a hawk signal um, at those crossings. Um, there, there's, there's many different steps to get that to where it's a, a more accurate representation but a white marking versus a green marking at a mid-block crossing, it's not going to have any any different impact, truthfully, as to okay. how someone's going to react to that. Well, similar to the um, request made earlier about providing examples from our community, it would be interesting, I think, to see uh, maybe just a handful of uh, crossings of the Lawrence Loop and what might be the most appropriate uh, crossing safety improvements, um, something like that could be really helpful to us. Last thing I wanted to ask about is there's also been, uh, I think, concern around crossings at roundabouts. And it would be really helpful to see some guidance specifically around the you know, best way for uh, people that are either riding their bikes or walking to get through those sorts of intersections. And we have, you know, quite a few roundabouts. They've been built at different times, you know, over several years. So it seems like the um, way that we've had people walking and biking navigate across those intersections has changed a little bit. So maybe knowing what's the right practice, the best practice, given most current guidance. And then, for example, do we need to go out and consider making changes at some of those crossings. Um, Wakarusa in particular has a two, four lane you know, road with roundabouts. So that's a little bit more um, unique on that street. Um, but most of the roundabouts are just your standard two lane roads. But something like that would be really helpful to have in the guidance around crossings. And we, uh, we could definitely provide some uh, information on that uh, track is uh, we designed a lot of roundabouts and do a lot of work in that area. Um, the variations in roundabout design have greatly changed over the last decade. Mm -hmm. You've had a lot of cities start building them more and then you had the bicycle facilities really kind of growing at the same time. So the national guidance has changed dramatically over that, that decade period. Um, so there, there's some guidance that we can definitely push, uh, provide on that and uh, help you out with that conversation. I, I know I said that was the last thing, but I just had one more. Uh, part of the Lawrence uh, Loop crosses a railroad uh, tracks, and I don't know if you're going to cover that at all, but um, it might be interesting to have that as well, like just to help us understand like all the different ways that people are going to use that loop trail. Um, how do we make sure that it's designed safely? And that's it. Thank <laughs> you.
All right. Well, it's a, it's a big topic. So there's always a lot of yeah. things that pop up with this, but the, the railroad, um, we, we can definitely provide some guidance on that. And there will also be some, I guess, pointers about uh, who is responsible for what, because when you're dealing with a railroad, uh, what, the rail company itself has to do certain types of improvements on certain boundaries to that. And then you have to, your, the city comes in at a certain point and it, it gets, um, tricky uh, but there there is definitely some guidelines and some ways of how to handle that process that it charlie yes that's it i was going to okay. mention school crossings but i'll leave that to you guys <laughs> <laughs> okay <laughs> okay other uh, questions from other commissioners One of um, there are a couple of things uh, in addition that I had. One was has to do with um, um, is there, will there be any guidance on advance um, signing in in terms of marking um, uh, crosswalks or or shared use path paths at intersections, those kinds of things. Will that be included in those recommendations, or is it strictly um, you know the design of the of the facility? Uh, no, ma'am. It's, I would say, I mean, that to me, that is part of the design of the facility. Uh, I'm very big into holistic design. You, you can't just choose to like look at the markings without looking at the signage or the signals or how the paths and everything else all intersect. Um, you, ha you have to understand even the land use around that and how that's applying to the, the system at that location. So, um, our recommendations will will touch on all aspects of how you would address that spot based off of everything around it and everything that would tie into it. That's great. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, you know, we you know your materials and Charlie alluded to it a little bit. You know, in terms of the Lawrence Loop and other shared use paths, that we don't have a huge number of mid block crossings, but we do have a lot of at intersection crossings, and um, you know that I see that see that conflict in in some of those uh, uh, high volume intersections and that's why i asked the question about right turn on red because that's um you know that's that seems to be one of the major conflicts are cars turning right as you know people are in the intersection and uh, sometimes they pay attention and sometimes they don't <laughs> so just you know in terms of what that what that design could look like would be really helpful and then the second thing I had was just you mentioned at the end of your presentation about next steps and the uh, public input, and I wondered what the plan was since we'll see the the final plan in a month. I'm wondering what the plan for public input will be on that. Yeah, um, well, I think the input we would want to get would be at, at this meeting. We didn't. We don't have any. Uh, current plans under the scope to go out and do just dedicated okay and public input on on the design details but I think really wanted to have a professional that is involved in this work provide you know the you know a lot of you know typical policy and design criteria that they see in other cities that that we would that we would then accept so mm -hmm. I think it's um, at this point, that's kind of the that's way that we see it yeah. proceeding. So just encouraging, 
people to make comment at the so when we get the final report next month and we can review it and provide additional input at that point and from the public or from sure. commissioners absolutely okay that sounds great okay is there any uh anyone online uh that uh, from the public that would like to make comment i don't see anyone on my screen christina is there anyone there michael allman hey michael would you like to make a comment uh yes i would thank you um very good presentation and i um i support pretty much everything commissioner brian said and requested that be included in this study so uh, please note all of his comments when you when you go further. Um, I'm with a group called Sustainability Action Network. Uh, for 15 years, we've been advocating for safer bikeways in Lawrence, um, and our approach is not for what you know you call performance bicyclists. People that get out there to push their limits, to get exercise to challenge themselves, whatever. We're interested in bicycle transportation for everyday use and for all ages and abilities. Um, part of that is just to reduce the number of vehicle trips by motor vehicle for a climate perspective. So all ages and abilities for us, um, I, I, I was interested that you that Mr. Edwards said that he wants to see what the people of Lawrence want. Thank you very much. That's that's perfect because we have oftentimes a different perspective on priorities and designs for bikeways than does the city engineer. Um, for example, you said um, everybody's favorite are green pavement markings. Well, that's not necessarily true of the city engineer, although he acknowledges that they have their place. Uh, it's just a question of, we feel they have more of a place than what he does at this point. And so that's one reason we have you hired as a consultant. Um, so I was interested when you said that in your community that there's extra benefit of green pavement for crosswalks and you did say crosswalks, and you said they provide pedestrian benefits too. That to me implies that there are some situations where a crosswalk will benefit more, and particularly like in the high conflict areas, which you mentioned, and I totally agree. Um, green pavement marking could be appropriate, and my organization proposed uh, putting green pavement at high conflict intersections at, I think it was about 150 locations in Lawrence. The city engineer yanked that funding and wanted to do more studies, which, okay, I can live with that if, if this study comes up with some good solutions. Uh, but there is a difference of opinion here. And one thing I was wanting to address in intersections you know, aside from green pavements or uh, continental crossings or right turn on red, whatever, those are attempts to to do a fix on an intersection, all most of which have been designed forever for the benefit of motor vehicle geometrics 
and movement. And getting pedestrians and bicyclists through there safely has always been a challenge. Rather than just looking at an after fix, are you gonna be able to provide us any information on redesigning the intersection? Like for instance, protected intersections, which the geometrics make the turning motions of the vehicles, which you know are the most dangerous and cause the most injuries and deaths, make those turning movements slower and more methodical and to, um, to swing around the corner in a way that they have a 90 degree um, approach to a pedestrian crossing or a bikeway crossing. Michael, uh, we've, we've reached three minutes. Oh, okay. Beyond, so, but I appreciate your comment. I'd, I'd like to see some intersection design changes in this whole study too. So thank you very much. Thank you. Okay, any, we've reached six o'clock. Are there any other questions or comments that anyone would like to make? Oh, we have till 6.15. Oh, we do. Okay. I was, okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So we do have additional time. So if there are any other comments. Well, this is Charlie again. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can always think of something else. Uh, I did kind of briefly throw in school crossings. The other thing that might be at least trying trying to be comprehensive about this, uh, our transit users, um, you know, they're pedestrians most most of the time. Uh, some ride their bikes and then they put the bikes on the front of the buses. But I just wonder if there's any unique perspective that that we need to consider around the safety of transit users that are getting, you know, to our bus stops, which are, you know, sometimes you have to cross the street to get to the the bus going one way or another, right? It's because that's just part of the design of the transit routes. So I'm not sure that provides a um, perspective of its own or if it just needs to be uh, thought about, but when I think about the types of users that are out there that all kind of have to manage getting across the roadways that we have, they're one of those groups that should be thought of as well. That's all. I just Thank you. Um, Mr. Thornburg, uh, were you interested in making a comment? Oh, I thought you were waving. <laughs> no, okay. That's all. I'll just. Oh, thank you. Um, Mr. Thornburg, uh, were you interested in making a comment? There are some of us in the community oh, that. Waving. Can you, can you hear me? No? Okay. Yes. Can you hear me? Yes. Can you hear me? Yes. Yes, I think he has a delay. Oh. Um, Mr. Thornburg, uh, were you interested in making a comment? There's some of us in the community okay. that... Waiting. 
Can you can you hear me? Yeah. Okay. Can you hear? My question is: Some of us in the community believe that the Idaho stop would be a valuable safety feature. I'm a very experienced cyclist. I've been hit, and I know of another very experienced cyclist who was hit um, and wouldn't have been if the Idaho stop were available. Now, I know that we would have to be the first in Kansas to do this. So I, I, don't, want to, I don't want this to be um, overlooked because of that. Colorado, for example, after several cities adopted it, adopted it statewide. I'd be, I'd be, I'm open to your thoughts on it, but I would like it addressed. Thank you. Thank you. Um, we, we can definitely provide additional information on that. And some of the other items that have come up, um, you know, we, we can look at that. The, the Idaho stop is actually the uh, methodology in T Tennessee. Um, so, but it, it creates a lot of, uh, it has dual sides to it. So there's a lot of uh, issues where people have problems with that because the motorists think that the bicyclist is going to stop and a motorist then reacts in a different way. Or you have people that just believe that everybody should behave the same way independent of the vehicle that they have and they, they act out in ridiculous manner. So um, it does have some different nuances to it, but I, we'll, we can pull up some information and get you uh, some background about how that's functioning in different places, who uses it, and you know, get, give you some guidance on where you might want to look uh, for that. Great, thank you. Stephen, you mentioned earlier in your presentation uh, armadillos. I'm not familiar with that with that treatment. Can you explain that a little bit more? Yes, ma'am. Um, that's the benefit of having an overview presentation. You'll have a whole <laughs> lot of details in there, just me running right. them out. But I was just curious um, here. Yeah, arm armadillos are probably about, uh, I guess, about two and a half inches tall, and they're about. Oh four or five inches long they make these these little dome shapes and you put them in succession down their street mm -hmm. and it allows the stormwater to still travel between them but if you you angle them at the right place they have high visibility markings on them and if a car hits them it's not going to stop a car from going over the top of them but if a car just barely nips them with an angle it's going to push the car back into the travel lane as opposed to the, the car sideswiping up bicycles yeah okay um they're they're easy uh, they're fairly cheap they've become exceptionally popular so the cost has gone down a lot for a long time you could only buy them from a, a, an italian manufacturer so now there's two uh, manufacturing plants here in america um but they uh they're they're easy to maintain they're easy to put down uh, in your area with the snow plows and things of that nature you would have the additional maintenance burden of actually having to remove them and snow plowing. Uh, so when you, you get to the snow season, they would have to come up, they, they allow the plows to move and then you would put them back down after the snows are over. Hmm. Okay, thank you. 
Okay. Now it looks like we've reached the end of comments here. So we'll look forward to the uh, final report at next month's meeting and uh, have a chance to to res respond to respond to that. But thank you, everyone. Look forward to seeing you again next month. All right. Thank Thanks, you. Stephen. Thank you very much. Great. Okay, we'll adjourn the study session and reconvene at um, um, 6.30, I guess. 6.15. Right? 6.15, okay. Yep. <laughs> All right, 6.15. 6.15, we'll um, uh, call the meeting to order again. Uh, again, this is the September 7th meeting of the MMTC. I'm Pat Collette, uh, standing in for uh, Nick and for Damon who are are absent this month. Um, so I'd like to um, open it up with the um, uh, item B, which is to approve the minutes. If everyone had a chance to take a look at those. Oops. Um, so C Commissioner Collette, before uh -huh. uh, we proceed with that, we're going to need to wait till Charlie gets here. Oh, he's not on Zoom anymore, and we need we're one short of a quorum. Okay. okay. So I believe he's. Uh, He's on his on, way. On his way from yeah. Zoom okay. to in person. Okay, that sounds great. So we'll take a few minutes and wait for him. So moved. Moved by Charlie Bryan. Is there a second? A second. Okay. <clears throat> Laura. Second by Laura Bennett. Um, all in favor? In favor? Say aye. 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 Opposed? Didn't see any opposition. Okay, that sounds great. Um, yeah, my, there we go. Is it possible to reorder the agenda items? 
Yes, we were just, um, we'll do public comment first and then we'll take um, Thank you. a motion to, to redo that. Okay, uh, public comment. Uh, the public's allowed to speak to any items or issues that are not scheduled on the regular agenda. Public comment will not be received for staff items, commission items, or calendar. Each person or organization will be limited to three minutes. As a general practice, the commission will not discuss or debate these items, nor will the commission make decisions on items presented at this time. Individuals are asked to come to the microphone, sign in, and state their name and address. Speakers should address all comments to the commission. So with that being said, are, is there any public comment on anything not on the agenda? Doesn't look like in person. Is there anyone online? Michael Ullman's got his hand raised. Okay, uh, Michael. Hi, Michael Allman with Sustainability Action Network again. Uh, several things. First of all, I hope that um, Mr. Cronin will give us a report on the attendance of one of the members of the board that was brought up last month. I'd like to know what the, out, the result of that is. Last night, the city commission passed the capital improvement plan. You probably know there's a number of interesting projects on there, one of which is $1,800,000 for Massachusetts multimodal from 14th to 23rd. And I am, I would I would think that the Multimodal Transportation Commission could request Mr. Cronin to bring the design to you to see what they're gonna do. Um, from 11th to 14th, M MSO used green pavement markings at all the intersections. And then at 21st Street, there's green pavement markings there also. So I think the whole design should be consistent. Onward, uh, another project is geometric improvements at 23rd and Naismith. I'd like to share my screen if I could. Uh, there's a view of that red circle, 23rd and Naismith. Um, it's a convergence. This is the Naismith Valley Trail. This shared use path is going to be built along Naismith up to 19th Street. But um, now let me stop sharing that and share that. There's the Naismith Valley Trail. It jumps across Naismith at this curve and then goes on the west side. The new shared use path is going to be on the east side of Naismith up to KU. A few years ago when the proxy development was being built, Commissioner Stuart Boley suggested that this trail, instead of going across the street, continue on the east side up to 23rd Street um, when this intersection is reconfigured, that's the time to do that. That would then have the alignment continue consistently on the east side of Naismith. This is also a nexus of bikeways. The proxy is, is a developer dedicated room for a shared use path along here. And if you recall that previous slide, 23rd Street is designated in the bikes plan as uh, future bikeway. 
So there'll be a bikeway coming across here. This intersection needs to take into consideration more than motor vehicle uh, geometrics. I don't know what the intention is, but I think the Multimodal Transportation Commission should inquire about that. We just talked about intersections. Let's design the intersections to do what we, the safety that we want to see for pedestrians and bicyclists, instead of retrofitting them later with green pavement or no right turn on red or whatever. Let's do it right to start. Um, so that's basically my comments and I appreciate your attention. Thank you. Thank you, Michael. Any other comments online? Doesn't appear so. Okay, let's move on to the agenda items. Um, there's been a request to move uh, item four to the um, to the beginning of the agenda. So I'd like to um, uh, entertain a motion uh, for that to happen. So to move receiving update on the Old West Lawrence traffic calming project up to uh, number one. Um, is there a motion to um, approve that? Yeah, I move to put the item number four, receive update on the Old West Lawrence traffic calming project to the top of the agenda items. Okay. That would be number one. Is there a second? I'll second. Laura? Okay, all in favor? Aye. 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 Opposed? Okay, looks like we're good to go on that. So we'll move to receiving the update on the traffic calming project. So there is a report attached to our agenda. And is, okay, Justin. I wanted to share the screen here so I can have the uh, attachments up while I'm talking through them. Bingo. Okay, thanks. Mm -hmm. Okay, so this is our uh, update on Old West Lawrence uh, traffic calming project we've been working on. Um, so we brought this to the June 6th uh, Multimodal Transportation Commission meeting. And um, uh, since that time, we've continued to meet with the neighborhood and uh, develop plan to move forward. Um, uh, Notice we had several meetings, virtual, hybrid, and and uh, I was able to attend a, a neighborhood walkabout where we were able to uh, evaluate how some devices would would be, you know, on, on the ground, if you will. Um, and uh, I guess coming out of the June sixth uh, meeting, the neighborhood requested that we uh, not do our uh, Lawrence listens survey on the. We'll call it the second iteration, which is out there now. Um, 
And so we, we did not do this, our survey, but the neighborhood uh, did do some engagement on the plan that they developed. And so they did uh, an open house and a survey. And uh, that's that's the first attachment is, is kind of the summary uh, results of the survey that the neighborhood did on their plan. Um, I guess I'll show their plan while we're, we're talking about that. So their plan was the uh, last attachment on this item. Um, so, and the neighborhood provided their plan and, and those survey results to us here uh, at our last meeting, I think uh, last week. Um, so at, at the same time, while the neighborhood was developing their plan, doing their engagement, we, uh, the city and our consultant JO were developing a revised plan, um, you know, based on feedback we've heard throughout the process from the public, as well as, as the neighborhood. Um, and so our revised plan is informed by a neighborhood preference, um, for speed humps. They, they like them. They think they're effective, so we leaned in that direction. And then also a, a strong neighborhood opposition to anything that restricts turn movements at the intersection. So we remove, or we would recommend removing the uh, median barriers that are out there now that restrict turns at several intersections and, and then replacing some of those median barriers with uh, small traffic circles. So uh, a calming effect, but not restricting turn movements in line with the, the request from the neighborhood. Um, so again, what's what's on the screen now is the city and JEO uh, revised plan uh, includes eight uh, speed humps or cushions and three small traffic circles. Um, and then we scroll back to the, um, the neighborhood's plan that they've developed. Um, uh, includes uh, 12 speed humps or cushions, six circles, um, five, uh, call those the half lane um, chokers that would um, be like a curb bump out to um, restrict uh, the width of the roadway on, on certain entrances to the neighborhood. And then uh, they would also uh, have two of the digital speed feedback signs. I believe both of those on Main Street as you enter the neighborhood from 6th or 9th. Um, and the neighborhood has requested to do a, a pilot of their full plan, um, similar to, to the two previous iterations we've done where we would um, try to configure these traffic calming devices using our temporary materials we have, uh, collect another round of data, um, potentially a, a scaled down data collection effort where we're, we're focused on the, the higher volume streets of Michigan, Maine, and Mississippi. Um, and I think, uh, and then I guess moving forward, we are, uh, have a meeting scheduled for next Thursday evening again with the neighborhood city staff and, and JEO to uh, continue the discussion of our, our plans and um, uh, we'll, we'll have cost estimates for both plans at that point and, and uh, try and uh, fit that into a schedule of, of being able to, to implement and, and complete this year. Um, I think 
with that, I'd, I'd open it up to, to questions for, for myself or Dave. Questions? Commissioners? So, wanted, oh, go ahead. Uh, so at this point, you don't have a cost estimate for the neighborhood design? Uh, n not um, okay. fully vetted. We're, we're in progress with that, yep. Do we have enough equipment to, to do the temporary installation? To that is a, a concern. We do not have enough um, temporary speed humps to do their full uh, plan in a temporary configuration. Is that something we could, I guess, help me understand like how practical it is to purchase that? Would it be useful? you know, years from now as we work with other neighborhoods? Like, so do we need to buy more stuff is, I guess, what I'm wondering. Yeah, so I, uh, we have 10 uh, of the rubber speed humps already, and so we'd need to purchase uh, two additional. And uh, I talked to the vendor today, and those would be about $8,000 a piece, but they do have, a like, a 49-day lead time at this point. Mm -hmm. So that would present a challenge for the, the schedule. Yeah, and I, I don't know if we would reuse them or not. You know, we might be able to reuse them in another project, but we, had, we bought 10 a few years ago or two years ago, right? We've got them all out there. So um, if we were, if we had a need to use them, but I think uh, that, that would be, you know, in, in if we were, to follow through with doing that full pilot, that would be a, a time thing to, for us to purchase them and then wait to have them if we were gonna do a full, another full study with everything on the plan, so. Um, is it just those two items that would need to be, like, or is there more I think we got everything. equipment need that you don't have? Uh, I guess the other challenge is um, both plans are recommending uh, small like 20 foot diameter traffic circles in the intersections. So that the 20 foot diameter would be the traversable apron that larger trucks and emergency vehicles could traverse that larger diameter. And then there would be a smaller like six to eight foot diameter circle that's a, a barrier that you could not run over. And those sh would fit in the, um, the footprint of the existing intersections. Um, but we, we have not determined a, a way to configure those in a temporary manner, the traversal apron being the, the challenge of just how, how we could get, you know, the, the right impact of having that, that uh, 20 foot diameter for smaller vehicles to have to navigate, but then also be traversable mainly for emergency vehicles. We, we, that that is another challenge with with implementing either of the the plans with a temporary configuration. Yeah, which, so we getting accurate speed data would be difficult, but volume, you, could, you know, we could get volume data. And I think you know in our discussion, and I'll, you know, I'm sure um, they'll have some. The neighborhood has some comments, but. Um, what we heard is they want, you know, when we've put in these, we put in the, the current configurations, kind of diverted traffic to Mississippi and Maine and Michigan. And if we were to remove those, what we've heard, you know, at our last meeting was um, the ability to 
to go back and say, well, you know, the volumes are kind of back on, you know, spread across the streets as they were before we had those diverters. So I think, look, you know, we've seen uh, volume increases on those streets, Maine, Michigan, and uh, Mississippi, and that was, you know, part of the discussion on, on data collection that uh, we talked about last week was, you know, if, to be able to show that the volume has gone back down on the streets that have, have been diverted to under this last, uh, the last uh, installation that's out there. And so the, the, the plan that we put together was just, you know, we were trying to fit the remaining dollars in the budget, the $80,000 that we had left over. Those are rolled over from 2021. Um, uh, I think there were, we had about 90, but assuming there was some for design, um, that's that's our plan. We kind of asked this, asked the neighborhood to see if there was anything that they would tweak on our plan, and, and they they're really um, interested in you know seeing what the cost and of the full plan that they put together. So that's kind of where we're at right now, and just and we could certainly. We intend to do that, and, and there can be different different options. And then, you know, after that, it's a matter of uh, you know the cost and how we how we pay for it. So, um, so, am I hearing correctly that we don't have a way to do temporary installation of a small traffic circle? Like that doesn't exist in our bag of options. For yeah, not to replicate a permanent one, but we've we've done them before. Um, before we built permanent traffic circles in University Place neighborhoods, 17th and 18th in Indiana and Alabama, we used uh, curb bump uh curb right. blocks and they were temporary and they were they were there for Long. many years, but they just, you know, they're not as effective cuz they're small and when you have the, you know, the permanent traffic circle, it has the apron that slows down, you know, vehicles from going through quickly, um, but also allows trucks. Mm -hmm. And so if, you know, if you were to make it large with a temporary device, you would uh, restrict truck, truck movements. And we've had some issues, you know, with the current configuration of the diverters with, with trucks and trailers over tracking the curb curb radii and the and the curb ramps and so that's the the design challenge so the small traffic circles that were in university place would or would not work in this neighborhood well uh, um i don't know if i don't know if i would say they wouldn't work i mean we we want and you know, ultimately we we want to have a permanent installation something that's going to be effective right um and so um you know if we, if we were to go out and put in small circles uh we that's something that could be done um but we wouldn't want to leave those permanent they were in university place for a decade or how long? A long time. I don't, I don't know how long they were, but they were there for a long time until we had enough funds to, mm -hmm. they were on the traffic calming list for, for many years. I guess what I'm trying to get clear is for the sake of a pilot, how far 
way are we from being able to pilot the neighborhood's proposal? Sounds like we're two speed humps short in terms of the equipment that you have. And then I'm not getting a clear answer on could there be a temporary traffic circle just to get the data? Like, is that? Yeah, there can be a temporary traffic circle, but it won't replicate right. a permanent one. And so I don't know if this, if you were to get speed data at a smaller traffic circle, that it would be that you could then say, well, you know, it's going to slow down it's, the speeds to this sure. when it's not. So I think that's the, um, can we install it? Yes, I think we've got enough of the of the curbs to, okay. to do it. And so, yeah, it's, it's, it's that it's it's us um, um, getting with our field staff to see the ability to go out there and and do the installation. There's a lot of labor that's involved in it, and so that's you know as far as next steps and being able to complete it. It would you know getting getting uh, getting their help would be is is needed and and being able to get out there because they just haven't haven't planned to do it yet. So <clears throat> how about the planters the half lane planter they have five in this proposal is that something that would be easy to construct to be able to see how that impacts the traffic in there I believe so. I mean, we um, it'd be similar to what we've done on 21st Street Bike Boulevard, where there's we've got little islands and constricted the lane, kind of where parking would be, and so it, that would be a matter of using uh, the rubber curbs as well. So I guess my my thinking on this is we didn't we need to try to do. I mean, this is our pilot for this whole program, and it needs to be a you know process where we're working with the neighborhood to figure out what's best to calm traffic neighborhood-wide, not just on a single street. And before this, traffic calming was taken on a street-by-street -street basis and sometimes had the spillover effect because it wasn't thought about you know, in a, in a broader context. So I think, I still feel like we need to stay the course of trying to think neighborhood level instead of street level. But it also seems like we're needing to be careful to set the expectations right with neighborhoods, that it is not a unlimited budget. Um, and then there are rules that have to be followed for what sorts of traffic calming is even appropriate on any given street. But Within that, I think it's okay to go past what the budget is and we create a list of unfunded elements of a plan, which is fairly common. Um, the question of funding, I would hope, doesn't get in the way of um, getting clear on what, the, what would make sense for the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. There's lots of ways to think about funding. You know, a lot of that's not in our place to decide. It's really city commission. Um, but what we can help is facilitate, like what's the right design for this neighborhood so that it meets their goals around traffic safety and um, whatnot. So I'd like to see us try to carry it out as best we can without the funding being a 
a primary consideration at this point. I don't know. I mean, it sounds like the budget's getting smaller and smaller every time we talk, but can we get to the point where we have a essentially a plan for the neighborhood that says, here's the traffic calming for this neighborhood, and then we can say, well, we only have this much today, so we can phase it in. Like, we have enough funds to do phase one, and the next phase is unfunded. And that's another problem the neighborhood will have to wrestle with. And if we get more funding from the city commission, we can uh, consider whether that's the right next investment or if it needs to move on to another neighborhood, that sort of thing. But yeah, we've talked about that a little, having a possibility for a phased approach. And so, yeah. Those I'm, traffic calming projects were on that list for <laughs> years. Yeah, there so, was. Um, and so, you know, to you know, be quite frank, and I think without having, you know, this is the first time we've done this. We haven't created that flow chart or checklist of process, and mm -hmm. we kind of, you know, we used to have criteria, what would meet speed and volume to have traffic calming. We, you know, we, we're, not using, we're not using that. And so there may be some of those things as we move forward to the next neighborhood, we need to, we're going to, you know, kind of get kind of get that uh the program or the guidelines kind of you know recorded and so that we have mm -hmm. um some good guidance on on process in the future but uh um yeah at the end of the day if we create the plan and we can have different options and different funding levels and we you know if there's available funds um that come available or um, you know, if the neighborhood really wants to go forward with it, um, there's the possibility to do a benefit district. So that, um, could, you know, there's all kinds of different options, right? We got the we got the program funds, and then you know, or it could be a separate request from to the city commission for a project. So, um, yeah, I think we're going to keep. You know, our intention was to meet again next week and keep keep discussing and really you know i think kind of dustin told you we're looking at the costs to for this full plan as they asked us to bring back to them and and what it would take for us to be able to to uh do an implementation so we're going to look at uh we still have a our engineering consultant jeo um engaged in this they haven't made the last couple of meetings, but I think we're getting them, trying to get them there back, back included so that they're the ones that um, did the data collection after the first two rounds. Also, I have a um, question or a comment, I guess, um, since we don't know the, the cost implications, but just back on the question of the 10 temporary speed humps and whether in looking at the two plans I, I, I can't compare them side by side but you know if there are two locations that are agreed on in the, the plan and it fit financially whether two could just be constructed because it's um, you know that it's determined that that's probably a common location that will end up with one and then use you know for the remaining locations use the temporary um, Humps. Would that be a, a possibility or, you know, something to throw into the mix, I guess? Well, um, we, we don't, 
We don't intend to leave the temporary devices out there mm -hmm. uh, if we move forward. If we were to do a phased type approach, that's where we ended up landing. Um, we wouldn't intend to keep the temporary devices out there because right. we would want to use them in another area, another mm -hmm. neighborhood. Right. Um, but I just but, thought in, in terms of data collection on this pilot, um, you know, in this pilot phase that, you know, that you would be able to have the 10 or the 12 locations, but uh, two of them would end up being permanent and then the others would be uh, taken out based on, on the data, you know, what, what was effective. Yeah. Well, I think that would be difficult for us to go out and construct them, get a contractor just to do two. Yeah, okay. And so we'd prefer just to do them all at once. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I think part of the discussions, um, you know, if there's ways that, you know, I think we know the speed humps slow traffic down to mm -hmm. speeds that meet, uh, that are at or below the speed limit. So we know that. So I don't know necessarily... I um, think we would have to put, put them all out there, mm -hmm. but so that may, that's just something that, you know, we need to talk about, and mm -hmm. that's kind of the next step, I think. Any other comments from the commissioners or questions? Well, i open it up to uh, public comment. If anybody would like to, to uh, speak, um, just come up to the podium. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh -huh. Yes. Yeah. Three minutes. Okay. All right. Great. <clears throat> My name is Charlie Sedlock, 630 Indiana. Thanks for all of your time and effort and, and focus on this. Thanks to the city for all of their effort. Dustin walking around with us on a hot night. Dave coming to our meetings. Um, I'm going to speak to you on a few points and what I miss and can't cover in that three minutes. We have a whole team here um, and they have been fantastic to work with all of our spouses were probably about ready to kill us because our diligence and cadence probably match that of an M&A group we've been very busy uh, we meet many hours per week we walk the neighborhood we survey and check us out the reason is is because as you know we did a pilot it did not go as well as we planned we saw the spillover that you were addressing and we were not accepting of that it pushed too much traffic to maine and michigan and so as a group we came back together and said what can we do so that we can come up with something more holistic and so we have worked hard we have a near you know nacto guy on board now we've got folks researching planters all the time we have folks looking at progressive communities around the united states and in europe so that we can help come up with something we know that budget is important but we think that we can creatively solve the problem of speeding and volume in, in our area. And other communities are doing this. And when you saw the Trek design earlier on what they were going to spend on the built environment versus painting in some cities and 290K versus several million on a budget, that's the type of thinking we're looking for and we need. And we need those kind of resources. So. We are, are very well supported in the neighborhood. 75% of our respondents said they would like for us to proceed in a holistic manner for a combination of slow and traffic calmed streets. 
what we would like to do is make our neighborhoods safe for pedestrians and cyclists and also for cars. We would like to continue to focus on the objectives of a 25% speed or, uh, traffic volume reduction and a 20 mile an hour speed limit, which we've had for years. There are some differences, you know, Dave has, has done a great job of presenting traditional traffic calming. We're pushing for something that's gonna be more budget friendly and more holistic. And that's why we've looked at outside communities, on, on planters, other things that, that still can do the same types of, uh, 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 have the same effect, but be more, more budget friendly. I think we'll keep working together. We enjoy our meetings with the city, but we really need the support of MMTC, and I appreciate your comments tonight in that we wanna further develop our plan and our proposal and our budget and collect data. It's very important to our, to our neighborhood, and that is our ask um, of, of you tonight. We wanna keep pushing forward. I'm probably well over time. If anybody else has, has things, um, they can jump in here. One last point on guidelines and process going forward. We're very, uh, you know, we have a, a, a great team here. We're more than happy to offer our viewpoints and, and any advice to help get to best practices. We think process and, and um, uh, how you proceed is very important. We've had consensus and unanimity amongst the entire group. It's hard to do. It takes a long time. Thank you. And we don't all agree. All right, thanks. Thank you. Additional public comment? Hi there, Kyle Johnson, 700 block of Maine. I think I'd just like to reiterate that we're very much in favor of finding a holistic approach. We agree the speed humps certainly slow down traffic. What we're trying to do together as a team is figure out what layout in concert can uh, slow down and, and reduce traffic volumes. Uh, together, so we're really focused on a holistic plan, and certainly on collecting data and soliciting neighbor feedback. So we have a, you know, we have a map. We're going to work uh, with Dave and Dustin on on budget and timing and things like that. But I'm, I just wanted to say I'm very appreciative of the comment uh, or the the notion of let's find a plan that the neighborhood uh, can get behind, and then figure out how to. Uh, find the budget or figure out a phasing strategy or, or so on and so forth because we don't want to just provide little half measures and then that doesn't work and people are frustrated. We're really trying to do our best here to, to make the next uh, pilot a success. So, um, you know, again, just to reiterate one other thing that Charlie said, we're also very interested in these innovative solutions that may not currently be in the playbook but we're very interested in continuing to push on that. Um, we've done some research to show that some of these devices have been used in other cities and have been studied extensively and are effective. Um, and so we'll continue to, to talk about those things and try to, uh, try to way, find a way to move forward on those. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Good evening, I'm Eric Kirkendall, 714 Mississippi Street. Um, thank you for having us here tonight, really appreciate it. Um, what we've been, what we've learned over the past year or so on this project is a safe streets approach 
would be really good for our neighborhood, and we think it could be adapted to many other neighborhoods too. Um, uh, neighborhoods built on an old-fashioned grid pattern have very similar pat very similar problems, and as you know, there's other neighborhoods like that. Um, we we want the city to help us reach our neighborhood objectives. Um, we've done our best to to do a, a design. I call it a conceptual design. We're not. We're not experts. Uh, we've done our best to learn all we, all we could, but this is a new area for Lawrence. Um, the city hasn't gone, hasn't, as you said earlier, hasn't done this for a neighborhood before. And so we're kind of the, the uh, learning platform and we've had, we've had uh, gone off in the wrong directions and now the, the neighborhood's completely coalesced around, around this. So in the end, what I hope is that the city will accept our neighborhood objectives of keeping traffic to as close to the 20 mile an hour speed limit as possible, I think which is only fair, that is the speed limit, and reducing traffic volume by 25%. I won't dwell on it, but you know we get a lot of cut through traffic from US Highway 40 going to campus, et cetera. So part of it is we're trying to keep that inappropriate traffic out of, out of our neighborhood. Um, in the end, in the final analysis, I think some of this tweaking of direction is more a policy issue than an engineering issue. And that's why we're in front of, in front of the MMTC and why we're talking to city commissioners is, is uh, we think the city needs to, to move a little bit to help us do this. And I very much appreciate everything you all have done. Thank you. Any other comments? Haley Bruns, uh, I live at 810 West 8th Street between Mississippi and Illinois. I have done a significant amount of the research on the planters, uh, what's been done around the country primarily. Um, to look at what we could do that would be less expensive and still create a aesthetically pleasing um, slower slower speed in our neighborhood um, one of the approaches that I liked uh, primarily is in Portland and my feeling is as if a city as large as Portland can put a concrete structure and turn it upside down as a planner and use a couple of them in a large street, certainly we could do that. And what they did was amend some of their local uh, city standards. And they were still able to keep their stop signs while doing these trials. Um, but it created the actual structure in there. And I think that it's really critical for us to be able to look at what is already out there so that we're not recreating the wheel here, putting our barriers out there, leaving them for a decade. Um, I think we all have been here and remember south of campus and those being there. So I think if we can look at that, Portland also tested, the, tested um, six of their fire trucks on different um, device on different safety devices 
um, and the tr a speed difference it took. And their, their traffic engineer, their senior traffic engineer for Portland, re rewrote what their code was gonna be for the city of Portland based on the second differential it was taking and what the course would be then for their fire trucks. So I feel like it's out there. We just need to broaden our horizon a little. We need help from the MMTC to go, okay, we're gonna look broader. We're not gonna stay in Lawrence. We're gonna let it branch out a little bit and encompass some of these things that might be out there as considerations. Thank you. Thank you. Katie Oliver, 824 Arkansas Street. Um, I'm also on the Old West Lawrence Association Exec Board. I'm just gonna piggyback off of what Haley already said. We're really here because we're looking to explore maybe um, non-traditional ways of calming traffic in our neighborhood. And we think that these um, smaller traffic circles that don't necessarily have this apron um, with still keeping our stop signs at some intersections would help us achieve our goals of reducing cut through traffic as well as uh, speed in our neighborhood um, without increased cost. Um, we know that the traffic circles that um, were discussed in the plan with the city are quite expensive, um, going to require quite a bit of work with those intersections. Um, and then there's also the concern about emergency vehicles navigating around those. Um, so we think that our plans, if you compared them side by side, it's, it's really the difference of those smaller circles that we know exist outside of Lawrence and are being used successfully in other communities um, that we, we would like the chance or at least support to try. Um, and I think that that's maybe where our key difference is in what we would like to pilot um, lie. So thank you for your time, and we really appreciate all your comments um, about this program and our neighborhood being the first to pilot this and the opportunity to do it right. So thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Okay. Without seeing any, um, bring it back to the commission. Any? Oh. Okay, yeah, Michael. Hi, Michael Wallman. Um, I, I really like to commend the people in Old West Lawrence for their proactive approach to this and being so creative. And, uh, and Dustin Smith for, for um, shepherding the process. Um, I, I would caution everybody, by the way, about the university place, those small traffic circles they had for many years, the university place did not like those small makeshift traffic circles. Um, they did have stop signs with them and the circles themselves weren't geometrically effective and the stop signs were very confusing. The neighborhood did not like them and they fought and fought until they got the, the real workable traffic circles over there. So just take that in. You might talk to the people over there. Um, also, I, you know, this approach for a whole system design for the scope of the project, that's, that's excellent way to go about it. And 
I think the phased funding that you're thinking maybe doing it def it really defeats the, the purpose of the whole neighborhood traffic hopping uh, program, which instead of doing piecemeal street by street, which then shifts the traffic, you know, if you don't install the whole system in the whole district all at one time, it's going to have that deflective effect of people just going a different route. I think you need to do it all at once. Um, on the speed humps, I'm just curious, $8,000 for a temporary speed hump, how durable are those? I'd like an engineer to tell us because maybe Lawrence could just use those rubber speed humps permanently everywhere. Um, I mean, the, the constructed ones cost $8,000 three, four years ago. So these might be a cheaper way to go. And I'm, I would like, like the explanation of these half plane planters. Is that a pinch point that takes the street from two lanes down to one lane? So that like a, you know, like a one lane bridge, so everybody has to slow down. Uh, I'd like an explanation of what that half lane planter does. Thank you. Thank you, Michael. Okay, anyone else on online, Christina? Okay, and then bring it back to the commission. Any other comments or questions that you'd like to ask of Dustin? Or? I guess I'd like to clarify what the next steps are. You mentioned that you're going back to the um, to the neighborhood and with some cost estimates. What do you, what did you say is the approximate timeline for that? And will that then come back to MMTC? Is that next month or is it further down the line? Probably not next month, but okay. we are intending to bring back uh, November to MMTC okay. so that we can get to city commission before the end of the year for a, an approval for a permanent install. That was our goal. So we've got, you know, process to go through to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. If if we do data collection in a pilot, so right. that may be too optimistic at this point if we if we go that route. But yep, we're meeting next week to to provide the costs that they asked us to provide, and materials and and uh, then we'll. Uh, hopefully create a plan after that um, and uh, one thing that we definitely need to do is inform the public on the status of the project since we've you know we've kind of agreed that the divers aren't going to be there permanently but they're still out there and we've intentionally left them until we've created until we've made a decision on yeah. recommendation to move forward mm -hmm. okay. um, we can provide an update at the next meeting for sure. Okay, that'd be great. Yeah, I'd be interested in those cost comparisons. And Anyone else? Well, so there's a resource online called tacticalurbanismguide.com and it provides, um, I think, kind of a this, these ideas around a creative approach and they have some estimates of what it would cost to buy these very temporary um, things, and they're suggesting it's like forty-five dollars per unit to buy to put together the mini roundabout or whatever you want to call it. 
And I'm just wondering <clears throat> when you're giving us a kind of a price estimate of $8,000, like how, how else can we approach this that might kind of think even more out of the box that like, do we have neighboring communities that would be willing to lend you something for temporary installation or could those sorts of things be shared across our region? I don't know if you have those relationships, but it would seem like not everybody's gonna have all these things in use all the time. So, um, or if there's just other ways you could think about getting a larger cache of equipment as we continue to, down the road of trying to engage entire neighborhoods, because Old West Lawrence is actually kind of small compared to some of the neighborhoods in this town. And if we're already hitting a limit on how much we have, and if we don't have enough on hand, I think we got to start to think ahead. Um, if you cross the street, go to Pinckney, that's a much larger neighborhood. And it sounds like we wouldn't have near enough equipment. So I don't know how to get there. I just figure this is teaching us that we probably didn't buy enough. Um, we certainly didn't anticipate how much time it would take. You know, it's probably not a 12-month process. That's what I'm kind of figuring out. <laughs> um, but these are the kind of creative ideas I think that we're hoping to see more of. And getting the whole neighborhood involved is also what we were kind of hoping for. So um, I appreciate you guys hanging in there because it is a long process and no one wants to see it be a 10 year process like <laughs> university. I don't know if it was 10. I just, it was, yeah. I'm just thinking, you know, these things can take a long, long time. Um, but hopefully the energy you have doesn't just end there. It continues and gets us past the hurdle around funding if that's, if that's really the biggest next barrier. But getting that plan, one that meets all the requirements I think is hopefully still what we can strive for. Anyone else? Okay, well I think we're just, there's no action to take. We're just receiving uh, the, the project uh, today, so we'll look forward to getting additional information and update next next month and and hopefully the plan in another month or two so okay great thank you thank Dustin you. Thank you. thanks for the public comment too thank you thank you <clears throat> all right let's move on to um, receiving the sixth street shared use path and intersection improvements the project office check plans and provide feedback. Okay, um, good evening, Chair and Commissioners. I'm Anthony Schuler. I'm a project engineer with Municipal Services and Operations. 
I'm here to introduce the office check plans for the 6th and Swartz Road ADA improvements. This project's gonna consist of two parts, a 10-foot shared youth path, excuse me, shared youth path along the north side of 6th Street from Lawrence Avenue to Garber Automotive, east of Rockledge Road, tying into the existing shared use path uh, that's already there, and reconstruction of the intersection at 6th Street and Swartz Road. The timeline for this project, we currently have the office check plans. After we've gone through those, we plan to make the revisions, put it out for bid. We're hoping to complete constr or begin construction in spring of 2023. So if we look briefly at the map right here of the project location, uh, the top of the screen is north. We can see right here going from Lawrence Avenue moving east just past Rockledge and the intersection reconstruction right here on the intersection of Swartz. Uh, I'll be going briefly through the plan sheets to kind of take a look at the project more in depth. So we're gonna be beginning right here on the intersection of Lawrence Avenue and 6th Street with the construction of this ADA ramp and begin replacing this four-foot sidewalk with a 10-foot shared use path moving east. We'll come here, it's gonna move through the entrance of the Dillon's parking lot of the west entrance Next plan sheet, we continue along. We're going across the east entrance of the Dillon's parking lot. Continue right here along with the shared use path. We have our intersection right here at 6th and Swartz. We'll be looking at that a little bit more for the reconstruction plan sheet. But for now, we're just showing it continuing along the north side of 6th Street. And again, continuing along from the intersection at Swartz. Moving here, we have a, a reconstruction of the apron to make sure it's ADA compliant as it continues along our um, shared use path as we go across Tuckaway apartment complex. Continuing along, another approach being rebuilt as we continue our shared use path. Continuing along still, Crestline Drive, leading into an apartment complex here on the west side. Here's the east entrance to the apartment complex. Again, rebuilding approaches as necessary. Continuing along, we have our ADA access ramps, our crossing going across Rockledge Road. And continuing to the east, Continuing, we'll come to the end of the shared use path. As you can see along here at uh, Garber Automotive, and we will be tying into an existing shared use path that exists over here on the east end. And that'll conclude the limits of construction going east to west. And on this final plan sheet, we have the interse 
the intersection being reconstructed here at Six and Swartz, putting in the new ramps and crossings and everything to make it ADA compliant. So that's a synopsis of what we're doing in the office check plans we're looking at. Do you have any questions? I have a few, so <laughs> this is my neighborhood, so I'm pretty familiar with it. Um, I'm uh, kind of related to our study session, I guess, in terms of um, the markings and pedestrian amenities across the major driveways. For instance, Dillon's um, mm. is is one where it's you know very wide. Um, entrance at, at two places and uh, whether those what whether those will be marked as with with uh, with cross you know cross mark uh, markings in those in those areas where there's higher volume that's not currently on the plans it's very rare to put any pedestrian amenities across approaches into businesses yeah it's it's pretty difficult to use those intersections especially at certain times of the day, um, you know, because you're as you're walking west, you know, the the cars are coming up at a very quick speed, and then cars are turning in <laughs> at the other in the other direction. It's pretty difficult to get through those intersections. There's a lot of traffic. There's also a transit stop right there in between um, the two entrances uh, to Dillon's, and so you have a lot of traffic of people getting to the um, to the bus stop, so um, you know. I guess we'll wait to hear, see what the uh, report is from Trek. You know, in terms of what could be done in terms of safety at those intersections. But it's, it's um, you know, as a frequent user of the, those kinds of, um, and, you know, and that's it's not unusual for many other parts of the of the city. But it's just you know, it's just something that we observe on a pretty regular basis of you know how difficult it is to get to cross that and because cars are not not necessarily watching for pedestrians um, what's a uh, I noticed chiseled square cut curb what is what does that look like that's just a cutout in the curb that the surveyors put to shoot elevations Oh, okay. so that won't be anything significant or oh, really okay. noticeable I saw that mentioned several times but I wasn't familiar with the um, with that as a design element, so yeah, that's so that that's not very minor. Yeah. Okay. Um, and um, at six at the corner of Sixth and Lawrence, it said repair, replace uh, concrete curb and gutter with mill and overlay. Um, I was trying to picture what what that is. It, you know, is that asphalt or vermilion we're replacing the concrete curb and gutter with concrete curb and gutter this shaded area if you can see down here on the plans is where there's going to be a two-foot melon overlay there because when you replace the curb like that you're likely to damage the asphalt so you need uh, to mill out in front of it and relay it so in front of it okay. that way there's not a gap or anything there that makes the crossing yeah a tripping hazard or anything okay great yeah i, I couldn't quite see where it was pointing to and i didn't you know all the rest of it was concrete it was concrete and i didn't think that you were <laughs> replacing that with the yeah that's overlay. just for that's on the, the crossing street on itself. the street yes yeah. okay um and in general at the intersection at the um signalized intersections along the way 
um, in a couple of places I could see where the uh, where the signal pedestals were placed, but um, you know, there are several places like, well, at Six and Swartz where it's very difficult, where it is now, it's on a, it's on a pole on the um, northwest corner, um, and, I, and it's difficult, you know, if someone's, uh, you know, a cyclist is coming up on the street or, um, you know, to have to get over to, to trip the signal, um, you have to get off your bike and then if you don't make it in time and it turns green, by the time you get back on your bike again, it's a short signal if the if the pedestrian um, ha button hasn't been pushed, and so you miss the light. So I just wondered whether you're going to do like you've done in other on other intersections like that, where you have a have have a pedestal that's more accessible to to reach either from the sidewalk or um, you know the shared use path. I mean, we can make a note of that, but all the ones that are currently plan to be installed are going to be ADA compliant, so they're okay. meeting all those regulations, so. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, when in, in instances where we've had to move the curb ramp, mm -hmm. uh, realign it, and we've had an existing button, it wasn't ADA compliant, sometimes it's, you, you have a level landing area next to it, right. four by four, I believe, and then mm -hmm. it needs to be within a certain proximity of the ramp. Okay. Feet, and I may be off by a couple of feet, but, and so, We've done that a lot where you've seen the pedestrian poles, but these here are within that distance that mm -hmm. it would be best to keep it on the pole and not have a separate mm -hmm. pole that we have to maintain and mm -hmm. um, run conduit to. Yeah, because so. it's kind of like at Six and Crestline, what you did there on the on the north east corner, um, it was on a pole over kind of a, you know, you had to go around the corner and kind of, to get to the button, and now there's a, a pedestal there that you're able to, you know, get from yeah. the from the path, you know. But yeah, so just a general comment about thinking about placement of those um, of the buttons to push that you know it's possible to to reach. So okay, I think that's mainly. Um, well, I guess uh, another one is just about the. How will pedestrian and bike access be uh, maintained um, during construction? You know, how will, um, how, how, you know, because a lot of people use, on bicycles are using that sidewalk on the north side, you know, once you get through 6th and, 6th and Iowa, um, and there's no alternate path, I guess, to get um, you know, to keep going west, and so people are on the sidewalk rather than on Sixth Street itself. And so I didn't know, is that just going to is that section just going to be closed? Will there be another? It'll have to be closed during construction, but we'll uh -huh. have a sidewalk detour up, showing people where to go to. Okay. Make the same route. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> I got a kind of a question around the entrances to the uh, businesses. Um, yes. you, you mentioned that you don't typically put any treatment there on that entrance um, for the crossing, the people that might be crossing that entrance. Is it possible to keep the crossing um, elevation the same so that it essentially serves as a 
way to heighten the visibility of the pedestrians or will they be expected to kind of walk down into the street level or the entrance level? Uh, I'm not entirely certain. Was, was there a crossing in, in particular? Your well, you were mentioning Dillon's. Dillon's, the Dillon's. And just wondering, would it help at all to have the um, pedestrian path kind of stay level as it crosses those um, yeah, that, entrances? That's, yeah, that's a good catch. So what these plans don't show is pavement being replaced through those Dillon's parking parking lot entrances and I don't think our, our designers really shown us that that's an ADA compliant pathway so I envision that being a change that you see on the final plans is that that pavement being reconstructed to be at a cross slope that's compliant well I was thinking more the just maintaining the level of the sidewalk so instead of it sloping down right just keeping it straight and cars can drive over that I think and this yes stormwater shouldn't I mean for the city would be in the street still. The parking lot is Dylan's problem. Right, essentially the existing curb line is gonna stay at the same elevation. You'd see some minor tweaks to get the cross slopes we need for the ADA ramps, but otherwise would be staying at the same location. I, I think I understand what you're talking about. I think it's gonna come up a little bit. I was thinking about 22nd and High V, that entrance. If you yep. look at that, if you go through there, it got raised up a little, then there's a there's like kind of a, what I call a PI, but a, a point, you know, you get to the edge of the walk and it goes straight to the driveway. So I think it'll be more prominent. Yeah, that's a good as, example, I think. You have a crossing versus now it's just, you have the driveway in this, in the sidewalks crossing the drive, you know, the slope of the driveway versus mm -hmm. the, you know, the, the sidewalk slope will control the driveway. Right. Right. I know we're always concerned about raised crossings causing some stormwater issues, but I would imagine that might not be the same issue for a entrance to a business. But I don't know. That's I would say as long if we can ever have a crossing that's raised to the level of the sidewalk, that's probably always better for pedestrians. Um, but I don't know all the rules about the, you know, how to do that right so leave it to you guys <laughs> but if those options like if our standard thinking is oh yeah there's a crossing we got to cut the sidewalk so people step down into the crossing or into the driveway that seems not as safe um, like you in our residential streets most of our driveways come up to the level of the sidewalk I think so I don't know yeah I think that that definitely would provide some additional visibility and plus a natural speed hump for, for cars mm -hmm. to slow them down. I really appreciate the improvement on the uh, Lawrence Avenue uh, section because that's, mm. that's just really tough if you're, if you're on a bike trying to make, th make it through there. It's, you definitely have to slow down and navigate around the, mm -hmm. the way it's currently configured. Right. And the shared use path is obviously a huge upgrade for people that are riding bikes. I appreciate that. Great. Any other questions? The yeah. funding, I, we have something on the agenda under staff items. Is that the, the cross-share program, is that the funding 
as proposed for funding this project, or is that something different? That, that is correct. Yep, we'll be touching on that later. Okay, okay. So you had mentioned about the, the transit stop mm -hmm. on that north side. Is there, um, have you consulted with transit around the need to create a pullout for them to um, make, make it easier for people to get on and off or even to keep the motor vehicle traffic flowing when the transit bus, you know, is pulled Spe over there? Specifically, no. Generally, they have been in coordinating, have been in part of the review process and the plans. That's something we can follow up with them on to see if that's something we were, would be interested in accomplishing yeah, in some, with the project. Yeah, in a lot of instances, they prefer to be in the in the travel lane so they don't so they can so they can keep, keep in the travel lane. Yeah, and yeah, so that's the well. Currently, at that spot, I, there are, I think that's in the they're in the turn lane. You know, for Dillon's, yeah, yeah, and for yep. in front of Dillon's. West of Schwartz. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's well, it's yeah, it's really closer to a little bit further west than yeah. Schwartz, but on on uh, on that in side front of the of street Dillon's. now on the yeah, yeah on the uh, south side it is closer to to Schwartz to the corner there, but uh, yeah, I think at that point the bus pulls into the into the turn lane. Would it be better to move that closer to the entrance there? I mean, instead of being in the turn lane, closer to the intersection. I don't know. We'll confirm with Adam. It might also. It's kind of mid-block at this point between Lawrence and Schwartz. You know, it's kind of right in between, right in right in front of Dillon's, but then you know, going across the parking lot. So. But yeah, it'd be good to talk to Transit about about what they. Uh, you know, this would be a good time to discuss that. Okay, so the next steps then we'll see, uh, so these are the, the, the office plans, then the next step will be field check, or is that? Next step will be final plans after we get the revisions done to the office check. Uh-huh, okay. Yeah, we wouldn't plan on bringing them, bringing them back. What's the timeline for the project? Like, timeline is for construction in 2023. Okay. Well, thank you very much. Um, do you want to see if there's any public comment? Oh, yeah, we do. I don't know if there is. Is there a public comment, Christina? Do we notify the public about these sorts of projects? Like. Is there any practice of doing that? On this project, um, we haven't sent out letters to property owners, with the exception we've, we've been coordinating with the, the owner of the gas station there on the, the corner of Schwartz. This project evolved. It started off as an intersection improvement project, doing signals and ramps at that intersection. Um, we saw an opportunity to, to put this shared use path project in there. Um, but no, we haven't with this one sent letters out like we normally would so the next project that we're going to preview on kentucky and that project residences and, and homeowners everywhere and we sent letters out to them and we'll follow up again before construction but we'll we'll 
property owners along along this path get get notice or yes yeah for this for this project I'm sorry did you okay go ahead with public comment Can you, uh, Yes. Hi, this is, uh, Drake Preble. I had a couple comments to make on this item that I'd like to bring to the commission's attention. First is that the very east end of the project next to Iowa Street, where there's the existing shared use path, there's not currently a crossing, like the bump mat for blind people basically to see where the edge of the curb is. And so it seems kind of silly to me that like we'd build the project right up to where we left off and not finish that end off. And then the other thing is I appreciate all of Charlie Bryan's comments regarding the raised crossings. There are several business entrances and residential entrances along this street. And one of the biggest dangers for pedestrians and cyclists is cars turning in and out quickly without looking. So anything to help draw attention to the crosswalk is a good thing in my mind. And other than that, and I'm really looking forward to this project. This is an area that really needs it. The amount of bikes I see in this area on the sidewalk already. Thank you. Thank you. Is it is there any possibility of adding in the? I know it wasn't in the project scope, but is there yeah. side? It, it's a commercial entrance. We don't put detectable warnings on commercial entrances typically. That's correct. They are, I took note that they're kind of shown that way on the plans, but to have warning panels, but typically our standards not to include those, those are at, at for public intersections. Okay. We, we've not included them. There are instances where they've been put in before on site plans down, but um, our standard is not to include those on commercial driveways or residential driveways. Okay. So we do see those all over the place though. I mean, is that those shouldn't be there in any of these illustrations? They should not. Okay. On commercial or residential driveways. I'm not. I'm not clear on what. What. what so the the public comment was. It was simply that, saying where it ends. The other side um, doesn't have the. Um, raised bulb kind oh, of domes, oh, detectable warning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he was saying, if you're going to put it on this side, uh -huh. you should do both. And I think what Dave's saying is, um, it won't be put on the other side mm -hmm. either. So, hmm. so it's not a standard. So that that meets ADA when because the shared use path is continuous. Mm -hmm. So I, I'm surprised that that meets ADA standards uh, to not be on both sides when the make so it makes sense to me on residential streets because sidewalks are continuous and they don't they don't i mean they're still the level as they cross driveways but in a lot of businesses you you kind of 
have to, if you're walking, you go down into the driveway, then it feels like it makes more sense to actually have those. Unless you treat them the same and you create a level crossing. Um, but if elevation of the sidewalk changes, it feels like it's, mm -hmm. I don't know. Why, why would those not be in play, in those why is that the policy the city has? Well, my understanding is that um, it's just to give the indication that pedestrians at uh, a, an intersection and not mm. a street intersection and and not commercial driveway or residential or driveway where usually the sidewalk continues through the driveway. Um, we'll uh, have a conversation with our AD coordinator and just double check that but that's that's yeah. the way that we've approached it and and that's the way from our mm -hmm. previous traffic engineer that explained it to me and that's what we've done so but because you could get away with from that needing the detectable warnings if you did like charlie said and what we talked about in front of dylan's is just maintain the that level through the sidewalk so then it slows mm -hmm. traffic down going into the I mean, I'd like that across the board. To me, that, that would be the best way to do it. Yeah, because I just about got hit at that intersection the other day, you know, on the sidewalk on 6th Street, and someone was coming out of that business and, you know, fast, and he was looking because he wanted to get out into traffic and was, you know, really busy. And I was watching, and I, you know, stopped. But um, if I, you know, it, it, uh, it was a close call. So... It would, it would serve a lot of a lot of purpose if you could maintain that maintain that level. That'd be my preference, maintain that level. But if we are going to see it kind of transition at those driveways, um, it it does seem like I guess I'd want to know more about why we would have a policy that doesn't use something. Um, SBB Engineering looks like they did this work, so. Are we thinking that they don't know better, or is it just our own local policy that says we don't use those? And I'm assuming whoever did the work probably put it in there because that's standard practice somewhere or in most places. Maybe it should be here too. Um, but my preference would be that it's yeah. <laughs> the sidewalks are kind of the priority. We'll look into that, and I'll add it to the list of the crossing standards. Oh, yeah, that would be really great to know. Yep. Yeah, so that, that, we have that would it be great, yeah. But it's not a policy. It's just not on our standard detail, and that's, that's you know, that's just the way that we've done it. And But I have seen it in other places at driveways, mm -hmm. and so it's, you know, what would constitute wanting to put it there versus not, and then, and then um, we, we will review the... ADA requirements as well, so. Yeah, this would be a great time to, to do it, you know, when it's being completely rebuilt rather than mm -hmm. having to go back. I guess I would like to know, like, there's no reason not to do it, then why wouldn't we always keep the sidewalk level? Well, I think one thing you'd want to consider is the the grade of the existing road versus where the sidewalk's at. Mm -hmm. And if you're you're holding that grade, you get that apron can get it a really steep percent, and then your vehicles can't make it in. Fire's going to have difficulty with it. So that's just something you'd have to balance between how much you can move that versus where the existing road's at. That makes sense. 
Yeah. Right. Any other comments, questions? All right. Well, thanks for the opportunity to re review these plans. It's an exciting project. All right, we'll move on to the next item, which is to receive the 2022 pedestrian improvements project field check plans and provide feedback. Okay, I'll be presenting these as well. Anthony Schuler, project engineer with MSO. Uh, these are the field check plans for the 2022 pedestrian improvements project. This project consists of three components, a sidewalk replacement along Kentucky Street, filling sidewalk gaps on Main Street, and the installation of two crossings on Louisiana Street and New Hampshire Street, respectively. The timeline for this project is we currently are looking at the field check plans. Next will come office check plans. We'll try to, that will be bid after that. We're also planning on this one being constructed ideally in the spring of 2023. Uh, if we take a look at the map right here, once again, the top of the screen will be north and we can see the different locations uh, that we'll be doing, the sidewalk filling on Maine, uh, the crosswalks on New Hampshire and Louisiana, and the primary bulk of the project being the sidewalk replacement along Kentucky Street. Take a brief look at the plans once again. We'll be starting right here on the intersection of 19th Street in Kentucky. Now, north is going to be the right side of your screen. So, as we continue along north, we'll be going along the west side of the road, constructing a five-foot-wide sidewalk, replacing the uh, approaches in the driveways as necessary. So, we continue on the plan sheets continue with our sidewalk, continue with our approaches, still along the west side of Kentucky, going north. Coming here to the intersection of West 18th Street, reconstructing the ramps here and crossings to make those ADA compliant, continuing along both on the east and the west side now of Kentucky, continuing to move north. Continuing likewise, making improvements, replacements where necessary. Continuing still, making on both east and west side, moving north, replacing sidewalk, repairing drives as necessary. Crossing here along West 17th Street, we have our ADA ramps on both the east and the west side. Continuing likewise, going north along Kentucky, still on both sides. Continuing still. Coming here to the intersection of West 16th Street, installing once again ADA ramps on both corners. Continuing to the north, we've stopped construction along the east side and we're continuing along the west side of Kentucky, still going north, still replacing drives as needed to make them ADA accessible. Continuing still to the north along the west side of Kentucky, 
making replacements and improvements where necessary. Continuing still just along the west side as we pass 15th Street. Coming now to the intersection of 14th Street again, we're installing new ADA ramps to make this crossing compliant. Continuing still along the west side of Kentucky Street going north. Continuing still. Coming to the e intersection of East, or excuse me, West 13th Street. Once again, replacing and installing new ADA ramps to make this compliant. Along the west side, continuing on Kentucky Street. Going north along the west side. And here we come to the end of the project where we'll be installing the ADA ramps here at the uh, northwest corner, or excuse me, the southwest corner of West 12th and Kentucky Street. And that concludes that portion. Here we have the Main Street portion of the project. Here, once again, north will be to the right side of the screen. So we're looking here on Main Street. Our sidewalk we're installing right along here, five foot wide, is going to be on the east side. And once again, like before on Kentucky Street, we're continuing along the east side. We're replacing drives as necessary to make them ADA compliant, installing our five foot wide sidewalk as we go. Again, coming up here to the intersection of West 5th Street, stalling ADA ramps, replacing drives as necessary. Continuing along still. And we see where it concludes here uh, with the installation of this ADA ramp. Moving along to the next site, we have the intersection of New Hampshire Street and East 11th Street, where we'll be installing a crossing going across 11th Street. And we have uh, new ADA ramps being installed at this intersection. Uh, rectangular rapid flashing beacons installed here. And the final site here along Louisiana Street, just to, and once again, excuse me, we're North is still the right side of the street. So just to the south of West 29th Terrace, we'll be installing a crossing right along Louisiana Street with sidewalks replaced as necessary to get the ADA ramps compliant. And that concludes the plan sheets for this project. Do you have any questions? Got a question for the brick. I noticed at least on the Kentucky plans, there were some brick sidewalks is it whenever a brick sidewalk is a piece of the current sidewalk, will it be taken out? Or if it meets certain standards, will it stay in place? Uh, currently, we're planning on replacing uh, brick sidewalks where we can to replace them with concrete because they're more ADA compliant and consistent with the current code with the city. Uh, the residents are going to have the option to keep the brick sidewalks if they wish to do so. So we're going to be sending out letters to them to discuss whether or not they want to assume the financial responsibility of maintaining a brick sidewalk along there or allow us to go back with concrete. 
In the, the conversation on the brick sidewalks really starts with an evaluation if it's a historic property or in the historic environs or in an urban conservation overlay district. Um, we reach out to Lynn Zollner, the historic resources administrator, and get her take on all these. And, and you know, we can look at the maps and, and figure out where we sure we need to, to put those back. We like to get her confirmation. Um, so there is, I think, 1700 Kentucky is the property that's, I think, believe in the environs. So that one's going to have to go back brick. That's there are, correct. I think, maybe one or two other properties with brick sidewalk. And specifically, I, I keep thinking of the one, I think it's on the 1700 block. It's the only brick sidewalk in the middle of 12 properties of concrete. And so it'd be our intention to reconstruct that at concrete. But as Anthony said, we'll reach out to the property owner and, and kind of get their input on that. For the Louisiana Street project, you're adding in a rectangular rapid flashing beacon? Yes. Can you, um, like I'm assuming that's to help improve crossing safety to get to the park? Is that yep. fair? What's the current um, crossing? Is it just a? I don't think there is. I don't think there is a crossing there now. Well, that's great. That'll be a nice addition to that neighborhood. Appreciate that. And so it is. That's a collector street, I believe. And so looking at the, I was just looking at the information that was shared in the study session when that. And uh, Collector Street that was 30 to 35 mile per hour, that would be the treatment that would be used or just mm -hmm. crosswalk markings. So it would be the higher, the more, the higher facility type. And it's just to the north of the driveway that goes in there? Is that? Of which driveway? That's a like where does the crossing just help me get oriented to is it right where the church is or is it like it's south of west 29th terrace and just north of the church entrance okay so essentially mid-block crossing yes okay i had a question about the 18th in kentucky it just uh i don't know if you can bring back the visual for that it looked like the, it seemed unusually complex, and I was curious to understand that. Like it is more winded instead of straight crossing pattern. Talking about this interesting looking Yeah, what's going on right there? here? <laughs> yeah, that's something we discussed with the designer already. It's been in our comments where we sent back to them and they're looking at it. There's some, yeah, there's some infrastructure and things there that's making it difficult to get a more traditional ADA ramp in there. But we're looking into that to see if we can get something that looks a little more traditional. Okay. And then that's the east side? Uh, north would be the right side of your screen. Yeah. So this would be the west. Okay, the west. All right. So then crossing then to the east it doesn't appear that there really is a crossing that's another comment that was submitted to the designer that okay these crossings aren't particularly uh leading somewhere so we need to make sure that that access is available okay 
So uh, I, the goal would be that you can cross all four directions at that intersection? Uh, ideally. Okay, that would be great. I think that, that intersection just kind of jumped out at me. I can't find the, the reference now, but it's kind of roughly in that same area um, of seven, 1700 Kentucky. Um, and I don't know if it's on the right or left or on the south or north side of that, but uh, said uh, reference crushed rock surfacing. Yes. And what is, what is that? I mean, I know what that surfacing is, but why is that there, I guess? That's just, if you look right here on the plans, you see the sidewalk going along here. Mm -hmm. The crushed rock is this little portion along here in the driveway. And it's just to kind of fill in the driveway so it's flush with the, the uh, sidewalk that's going to be going through there. Commissioner, essentially the existing driveway is gravel right now. Okay. So we're putting concrete through there and then putting in some rock next to it to tie into what's there already. Uh, okay. Kind of like my question of Sixth and Lawrence. It's, it's just filling in around the, yeah. So it'll be, the sidewalk itself is concrete. Yes. Then. Okay, great. And a, a couple of different locations about removing large trees. Are, is it practice to replace those trees? Um, uh, we haven't addressed that at this point. We're going to be replacing them, and then down the line when we get the office check plans, we'll be talking with parks and uh, seeing what they want to do, what their plan is for putting those back. Okay. I have a just broad question. So office check plans, field check plans, can you help us understand, like, is there, it sounds like there's a real method to them Sure. To your profession. So what are the what are these distinctions? Yeah. Uh, so, Commissioner, you're probably used to getting field check plans from us, which are probably 50 percent is what I think David probably say. Um, in the case of the Sixth Street project, like um, I, I think I may have alluded to, we started off as just an intersection project and our designer had done a lot of work on it. And then we added in the shared use path. Um, so we're presenting office check plans more 75, 80, 90%, you know, a lot closer to final design. There's more detail, um, ramp elevations, those sorts of things. So um, really it's just terminology on, on how complete the plans are. It's a little bit subjective. Got it, thank you. So office check is more complete than field check? Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. I, th I think this might be the first time we've had an office check plan yeah. to look at. <laughs> right. I really appreciate getting a chance to see these plans. I think that, you know, it, it takes some of that discussion we have around how to um, best use the funding, and it feels more like, oh, now we're really getting somewhere, you know. So it's nice to see it. Yeah. Other questions on, on these improvements from commissioners? Other, uh, is there any public comment, Christina? Okay, thank you. Well, um, so this is just, um, we just provided feedback so there's no action to be taken other than 
other than that, uh, let's move on to uh, item three, which is receive information on joint application to the USDOT for safe streets and roads for all grant, for all grant. Consider providing a letter of support. Yeah, so we, um, staff's been working with the MPO and Eudora and Baldwin City to put together a joint application uh, for this new Safe Streets for All grant um, that's part of the new infrastructure legislation. Um, there's uh, really two different uh, pieces um, uh, to this program. One is to create a, a safety action plan. Um, and for, for some that are familiar with the term Vision Zero, it's kind of along the lines of a Vision Zero plan or creating a Vision Zero statement. Um, and um, in addition to um, uh, doing some uh, planning effort um, around reviewing uh, crash data and uh, ways to mitigate uh, crashes. And so there's uh, the, the planning piece that we are uh, applying for. And if we uh, create a safety action plan um, a community safety action plan, we would be eligible for the implementation grant, um, which is geared to making the build improvements uh, to alleviate safety uh, issues. And so the, um, this is an 80-20 federal local match. Um, KDOT's participating 10% for any community that applies. And then with um, Baldwin City and Eudora, um, we uh, are eligible for another five or ten percent. So I think at most we would be be up front. Need, the city would need to pay for five percent, but it may be zero. I think we're still trying to determine that. But mm -hmm. regardless, um, I think this is a good opportunity for us, and it aligns with things that we've talked about uh, safety in the community, and um, it's really kind of a um, something that they, you know, we will look at data, data that we have uh, with the implementation or with the uh, planning grant. There, so there would be um, an effort um, to create that plan and look at um, crash rate and and um, so there's no uh, specific projects at this point other than going for you know if we were to be awarded the funds to go forward with that uh, safety action plan. Um, and so uh, this is uh, one of the um, grants that uh, really helps to have letters of support. Um, it was on the city commission agenda last night to get a letter of support, and um, we're getting letters of support from other organizations and our our action tonight's to uh, for this board to give to give us a letter of support. Mm -hmm. So we have a draft and draft ready to go but the applications due on september 15th and it'll probably be a few months before we before we hear back but um mm -hmm. with that i'll stand for any questions and i did attach a fact sheet to the item to the agenda item was an fyi questions nope And the intent, it says multimodal, uh, but there, you know, quite a bit of reference to, you know, 
it's you know it crash I just want to make sure that the intent is that it is truly multimodal that uh, you know not not just focusing on on um, you know roadway and um, you know automobile so that data from bicycle pedestrians will be included in developing that action plan um, yep yeah and, and most likely and I'm assuming probably a, um, some sort of uh, advisory committee in terms of de you know developing that action plan, that safety action plan. Mm -hmm. Yeah, great. Yeah, so um, and you've got a, a draft letter you mentioned that uh, for support letter of support. Okay, so um, if there aren't any other questions, uh, I'd entertain a motion for um, submitting a letter of support uh, for the. Um, Safe Streets and Roads for All grant. I move that we authorize the chair to sign a letter of support for the Safe Streets and Roads for All grant. Okay. Is there a second? I second it. Okay. All in favor? Aye. 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 Opposed? That says unanimously. All right. Thank you. And will you get that, uh, David? Will you get that to, to uh, Nick to sign? Yeah, I'll okay. work with Nick on that. Okay, great. All right. So we're ready for staff items. Yeah, Commissioner, I've got the first one. That's uh, providing an update on the KDOT um, cost share program application. So KDOT opened up um, applications last a month for this program. Um, it's really a, a program to offer grant funds for a variety of transportation um, projects. Um, and staff is going to be submitting an application for the, the 6th Street uh, Shared Use Path and Intersection Project, um, which we just discussed here a moment ago. Um, it's a, a project that uh, is in our approved five-year plan. Um, it was slated for construction next year. Um, so it's a, I, I, we feel like it's an attractive project for KDOT being shovel-ready. Um, in addition, um, we're, we're um, proposing to um, only ask for 50% grant. It's a $1.3 million construction project, so we're going to ask for $650,000. Um, their grant weighs additional local match um, more favorably, mm -hmm. so we're, we're, we feel like we're kind of going all out selling this project. Um, getting grant funds for this project gives us more flexibility within our five-year plan. Mm -hmm. um, you know, inflation has increased prices on our construction projects, so, um, you know, that additional $650,000 could go a long way to helping the rest of that plan out down the road. What's the, what's the timeline for their, typically when they make decisions for this one, are you? That's been that more and more uncertain. The applications due next week. Mm -hmm. um, anymore, the governor does an announcement and that's added a little bit more to the timeline on these grants. Mm -hmm. um, I would anticipate it happening probably two to three months you know, before the end of the year, the, the, I think they're really wanting to get their money spent, so. Yeah, okay, yeah, so in time so, for the project. <laughs> are we gonna move forward with the project one way or another, or is that? Yes, I, we, okay. we have the, the, the funds allocated for that project in our five-year plan. We've got additional traffic signal and ADA money for those intersection improvements that were originally their own project, so mm -hmm. it, it will move forward one, or, one way or at the other. Great. Great. Sounds like a great opportunity. All right. Any other questions for Jake about this? 
Okay, let's move on to the 29th and Haskell Lane update. So um, you asked for um, speed and volume data. We're still working on it. I apologize. We don't have it for this meeting. We anticipate okay. having it for the next meeting. So okay. I did want to leave it on there just so we could uh, mention that. Um, and the shared scooter update, um, I reached out to um, KU Director of Transportation, Aaron Quisenberry, about um, that about their interest in being involved in, you know, a, a shared scooter pilot. He's been working to get a meeting scheduled with the student body president that has not occurred yet. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm hoping to have maybe some more uh, feedback from him at our next meeting after he meets with them. Okay, great. All right. Um, Commission items. <clears throat> I have a few things. Okay. I don't know. So I wanted to start with um, at the last meeting, I had asked about attendance data for Commissioner Redding. And uh, as I recall, uh, he had not quite violated the or met the standard to be considered involuntarily resigned but his lack of attendance tonight does that so i'd like to make sure that we're honoring our bylaws um and send notification to him that we've considered him to be resigned and open up the seat to someone else that might be interested in serving the community um, that would be the first item uh second thing i had had some discussion with Nick about this question or idea that I had around, you know, we have, I think, gotten a good practice now of seeing a five-year um, bike ped project prioritization comes to us. You know, we update it every year. We know that the out years could change a lot. Um, and that seemed like there's a nice rhythm to that. I think we've all understood it pretty well. Um, the CIP has a five-year planning kind of span also. And what occurred to me was when we looked at street maintenance um, plans, they're um, just one year. And yet we hear often, like you guys know, that a certain road might be scheduled for maintenance a few years away from now, so that helps justify like why a bike ped project might be um, kind of overlooked for a year or two. And it got me to thinking that maybe it'd be helpful to to kind of have a similar five-year kind of horizon on street maintenance. Um, I didn't know if that was reasonable, um, but it felt like a really good practice for us to get our heads around these major pieces of work that you do and how do we um, stay kind of ahead of the the process, you know, over that five-year horizon um, we know just from tonight you know these these projects take a long time and you guys do a great job of doing that work and it's hard for the public to understand you know that it takes a, a lot of um, work to bring something about you know you're showing us tonight things that are going to be built next year uh, we've heard things that are going to happen you know few years out so just maybe street maintenance would be another one of those areas where 
yes, it might be fuzzier five years out, but maybe there's a way to see it, um, kind of a preview of where you're thinking things are going to be in the next couple years. And it helps our, helps our brains to kind of wrap around, like, are there other opportunities for, um, you know, community engagement around what's possible with street maintenance? You know, we saw the uh, thing tonight about the, in the study session about how a whole, looked like a mill and overlay project that turned into a really a four mile redesign. It felt like a redesign even though it wasn't probably intended that way until I guess they must have did something to turn it into something where they got private funds to improve on a whole section of road. So that was just another one of those, hmm, you can't pull that off in four months without having thought about it ahead of time, probably. Maybe they did literally pull it off in four months. <laughs> but it strikes me as we'd be better off being able to think ahead of ahead of the timeline. Um, and so street maintenance is just one of those right now. We only see it sometimes the same year that it's happening. Yep. So, so good timing on that comment. We've been working okay. on that throughout the summer. And in November, we intend to bring you a, the 2023 to 2027 street maintenance oh, plan. Yeah. So having the five-year plan, <laughs> recognizing that it's going to be flexible every year. Sure. That, that program really, with, especially with the uncertainty of, of asphalt prices, and we've had to trim things and add things, but um, that's been our intent. We've been working on it pretty hard. Um, and well, so great. we're... Um, I think it'll be beneficial for this group as we talk about future bike ped facilities. It's beneficial to the public if we can get it online. Just so if someone says, well, when's, when's the last time my street was worked on or when will it be worked on next, they can, you know, refer to that map. And and so we're working on that that part as well. Right. Um, so um in the you know in the past it's you know around this this fall we brought the next year's plan and so we'll we want to focus on you know next year and have a discussion discussion on the bike improvements that you know we've typically done but we'll, we should be able to see the five-year plan okay and, well that uh, would be wonderful um the other item i was curious to just maybe we could get some feedback on the slt um, project specifically around the Clinton Parkway interchange and I've been trying to find that information on the state's project website I know when they came and talked to us the last time we had a lot of feedback around how um, people that were walking or biking were going to get across um, get through all the interchange that they had last drafted and it felt to me like there was a lot of reason they should come back with a new plan with maybe more safety for people that are walking um, or biking. And I didn't know, is that something we should, is that a reasonable expectation? Or could we even see, you know, where they're at with that interchange? We had a lot of discussion about Wakarusa, but mm -hmm. um, Clinton Parkway seems to be kind of off people's radar right now, so. Yeah, I, am, I can find that and provide that to you guys the the, the drawing the last drawing i don't know what's changed in the last year or so kdot is going to provide an update on the project to the city commission next tuesday oh okay so um, we'll see something there. really you know kind of focused on you know it, the project's now been funded for construction 
by KDOT uh, to move forward. That was announced a couple weeks ago. Um, so they're going to talk about schedule, um, the redesign of the Walker-Rusa interchange. Originally, it, uh, if you recall, it, we right. had some discussion on it with the neighbor to the north, so they've um, made some changes there, and, and then um, looking at noise walls. Okay. So well, and the, I think the, the project key. website does have a more recent <clears throat> version of the Wakarusa Twenty mm -hmm. Seventh Street. You know that area. So that feels like they've been pretty responsive and made changes. But it's the the other elements that we saw a year ago that I'm just curious if anything's yeah. different. Yeah. So well, because we you know, according you know, some stuff that I saw this week uh, that. And I don't know if it's true or not, but talking about at-grade crossing across, you know, the big roundabout so that there's, like, which includes exit ramp and entrance ramp and that kind of thing. And so, mm -hmm. um, you know, it doesn't make sense that they're re re rebuilding Wakarusa, you know, to get rid of the at-grade, but are proposing a at-grade at Clinton Parkway, if they, in fact, are. That, that's the thing I don't know, because mm -hmm. I've looked, too, and... I can't, uh, I can't tell what I've seen there whether it is or not, but um, uh, it looks. We we can circle back and bring back what what the design is, but that's a complicated intersection with the curve yeah. being readjusted and where the Lawrence Loop is at, and um, there's three different roundabouts out there, mm -hmm. and um, so um, we're. Uh, they they heard the feedback at the last meeting. I know that, and we've still having conversations with them about about the Iowa crossing. Mm, yeah. oh, with the Iowa crossing. Yeah, I wasn't going to bring that one up. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're at, yeah we're looking. Okay. To see if there's any funding available to do something. Wonderful. Um, the the comments that uh, Michael Allman shared in the public comment period around the Naismith drive thing I, I guess i'm not familiar enough with what's going on is that something that we're going to be hearing more about or was um well, timeline was it like a couple years from now or is that a next year kind of project yeah we have we have a project in the cip to reconstruct naismith between 19th and 23rd it okay. was showing the path so that's south, going of, north. south of 23rd. So is that? And so that uh, that's not it within the project limits of okay. CIP project. Okay. Um, but like other road projects, those plans will come. Sure. The I just. I guess I was confused by the section he was showing us. It makes sense, but I wasn't clear that was in the works or scheduled to be in the works so it's not okay no we are um we have that naismith shared use path project which we're going forward with here soon we have a schedule on that it's advertised right now uh, yeah so it completes the shared use path most of it on the east side north of 23rd street right right yes nothing south yep. No, that's yeah. south. Okay. Well, I think we probably all agree it'd be better to not cross, to just have to cross again, but, 
if that south section of Naismith isn't um, something that's going to be worked on for a while. Sounds like we just got to wait it out. So, is there any physical reason why the shared use path couldn't have been put on the east side as Naismith, south of 23rd? Or was it just development was happening on the other side, so we... I, I, yeah, I believe so. Okay, that's what I was thinking. Yeah. I'm that's my recollection, is that... Proxy was going to yeah. do it, and we said, sure. Yeah. Okay, yeah. It, yeah, I wouldn't it seems have said... like it makes sense to have it on the east side, because that's where the path is coming from the south, and then if it goes... Um, I mean, one day yeah. we'll have it on both sides, so that because Yeah. <laughs> yep. Uh, Last thing I had, I just was curious about some of the projects, you know, when they get, go through all of our process here, is here and then um, they're done and we don't have any next steps, like it never comes back to us and there's, I'm kind of curious about how do we feel about having a little more awareness of, oh, this is done and there's a ribbon cutting come out and help us celebrate this completion. Uh, I don't know. I mean, do you guys do ribbon cuttings and we just don't know about it? Or um, Parks and Rec does ribbon cuttings. <laughs> well, so do they just, I'm thinking about the Lawrence Loop, you know, as significant sections are completed, it's a nice thing for us to all celebrate. And maybe we're just not included in those invitations if Parks and Rec doesn't think of us. I don't know. But it'd be nice to have a chance to to kind of see the work that's happened and I've driven around and I see things that you've shown us Jake and it's like hey it's here mm -hmm. um, and it's nice you know to see it and I feel like it'd be nice to also you know just celebrate that not just from our side but from your side you know to know that people appreciated all the work you put into getting the shared use path built around Holcomb Park and uh, you know going around Delaware I remember how we thought about how that might look, and now I've seen it, and it's like, this looks pretty good. And now the trail that's gonna that goes across McDonald's or under McDonald's, like these are really great things, and we ought to figure out how we can see all that, um, kind of see it to the end, I guess. Sure, and I think that's a a great idea. Um, I think we would just maybe get your feedback on what projects you'd like to do something like that for. Obviously, like a loop project like that, uh, especially with our tunnel, you know, underneath the KTA would be a, a and that's about wrapping up, so it'd be a, a, a good pilot, you know, project to do this on. Um, you know, maybe we don't do that for, you know, uh, a main sidewalk gap or, or a crossing, but maybe we do. You know. I don't, I mean, personally, I wouldn't mind, you know, when you see a big project that's finished and it seems you're feeling a touch of pride over it, maybe that's something that we would feel proud about. And to let the public know that we're, you know, this is important work that, you know, we care enough to see it through. And I don't know, maybe no one else cares about these things. <laughs> well, I think another benefit you know. too is you get to see a project completed. You get to walk mm -hmm. it. You get to provide us feedback that you might mm -hmm. not normally think of, mm -hmm. which would be good for us to make better, better projects. Mm -hmm. That's a good point. Anyway, I thought it'd be a nice way. I mean, uh, Steve Evans isn't on this commission anymore, but he was he was always one for doing field trips. <laughs> and mm -hmm. So it's kind of a little bit of, well, what about just seeing it after it's happened? Um, it would it'd make me feel good, and I assume that it would also help all of us understand, you know, 
with the, dif the difference that's being made by the work that you all are doing. So, And seeing it from field check, office mm -hmm. check, to, to the physical existence of it, I think it, it really mm -hmm. helps visualize what, you know, when you're looking at those, what, how it translates into, into an actual mm -hmm. project. And you might incidentally, you know, if you use it or you incidentally drive by it, but to celebrate it, right. I think would be a great idea. At, at the very least, if a project is completed and it's just on the staff items, just to give us the, hey, it's done. <laughs> if you want to go check it out. Like the shared use path at Holcomb Park. Uh, not Holcomb, I'm sorry, Hobbs Park. Um, you know, mm -hmm. I knew it was happening, but I, I can't keep track of the timeline. You guys, this is your regular job. So just telling us, hey, it's done would be nice. I don't know, what, did that just finish or has it been done for a while and I just hadn't noticed? That one's been done for a while. Yeah, see? Uh, yeah. Um, so you, you get early, you early for the spring. Spray, is he saying that spray park? No, he's talking about no. the trail behind Hobbs Park. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And 29th Street, that was one yeah. construction project that wrapped we didn't, we didn't up really this year. Yeah, I had coffee a decade the other, the other day and I just, it was there and I said, oh, finally, I get to see it. So, you know, sometimes it's just pointing us into the, hey, this is done, guys. You want to go take a, take a look at it? Maybe not everything, but, yeah. you know, use your judgment, like what you think bigger would help us to um, continue to learn about the work that you're doing. 23rd Street. <laughs> well, we'll schedule a big uh, thing. I mean, this is the part, I mean, for those of you that are newer, it's like, That's... it's amazing how the time horizon that this work requires. And there's a whole process of um, creating a plan for 23rd Street east of that bridge. And it's just like slowly, slowly <laughs> happens. And now we're in the muck of the worst part, you know? Mm -hmm or no one enjoys it. But when it's done, then you gotta look at it and say, hmm, how close is it to the, the, the plan that was put together? And that was one that we did, I think, a really great job of engaging the community, you know, that, that area around um, creating the vision for that section of 23rd Street. So just, you know, reflecting on that long process, helping put the context around it so you can think about you know, how else can we do the work that gets the community engaged appropriately, leads to a good outcome for everybody. So I'd give you a pat on the back for that one when it's done. <laughs> so that would be one I'd like to be invited to if there is a, any kind of thing. Surely there will be. <laughs> <laughs> what's, the, what's the timeline on that one? Uh, end of next year. End of next year, okay. <laughs> we got some time. We'll be here, yeah. you know it. Yeah. Yep. Well, it's great to see Good points. the work happening and celebrate you know. some of our projects a little more than we mm. do. Yeah, we yeah. deserve it. Yeah. yeah. Well, I call sometimes I call them signature projects, like really unique mm -hmm. projects that we do. Yeah. Like tunnels and yeah, those are good things that we should celebrate. Yeah, and get get some you know recognition in the in the community too. Yeah. You know, if it gets covered in the paper or whatever, but. Yeah, we'll see if that happens. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Maybe the tunnel. <laughs> yeah, the tunnel, that's, that's I think, will. Yeah. Kind of cool. Yeah. That's all I have. Okay. Thank you. Well, you mentioned a couple of the of things that I had, but uh, um, I just wanted to mention that the, there's an upcoming meeting of the Transportation 2050 Steering Committee on the 22nd, 
and um, that'll be they'll bring back all of the input public input and uh, you know kind of move to the next step of the of the plan I don't know if there's you know part of a draft draft plan put together I think I think that will be uh, you know part of the discussion so that's coming up um, there um, and like David said the KDOT presentation to next Tuesday um, on the Clinton Park well on the it's really on SLT but you know to, to if you want to make a comment on the Clinton Parkway interchange that that would be a, a time to time to do that and, uh, and there are a couple of webinars coming up I don't know if anybody's interested in their free webinars um, one of them is evaluating pedestrian and bicyclist safety improvements that's tomorrow at 1:30. and if anyone's interested I can provide you the link and then the next one is um, September 22nd uh, dangerous by design transportation officials discuss what's wrong with the arterials so anyway that's a separate separate um, group uh, that's putting that on so anyway that's all the calendar items I had okay well I've, I've also attached our calendar for um, that includes items for next month's meeting so for um, October the 3rd um, for the study session we um, were intending to do the unmistakable identity brainstorm so I went uh, attended the uh, their uh, group meeting a couple weeks ago and um, asked them for those that are uh, involved in that to attend the meeting um, on the 3rd um, and that was something that was in our work plan so we're trying to uh, follow through on that here before the end of the year um, and then we had um, put on the Lawrence Loop downtown section um, working on um, plans for well we're gonna be working on plans right soon for that San Fe Depot to Constant Park uh, so I'll give you an update on that and uh, the depot um, well that's the depot to 8th Street is, yeah, is the, the one that we're doing next but the depot to Constant Park is, is the project that um, it's been now it's kind of funded in the CIP which was approved last night to move mm -hmm. forward with design um, and so I just wanted to maybe get an up provide an update on that and there was uh, the city had a CIP project um, it's been in there for a few years and then the um, riverfront and center group had inputted essentially the same project phase a was the Lawrence loop section and so those projects were and the dollars were, were merged into one in the CIP and so just uh, probably start discussing the plan for moving forward with that uh, design uh, next year um, so I wanted to uh, keep momentum moving on that so those are the Lawrence loop items and then we had uh, intended to bring back the crossing policy draft and um, so um, that's the plan so far for um, October um, we will provide an update on Old West Lawrence uh, probably under staff items but we'll provide an update on where we're at after we meet with the neighborhood on that project 
and then on November, talked about the street maintenance program, uh, five-year plan. So that's scheduled for November in addition to um, kind of having an overview of, of the projects in the 2023 uh, CIP. So we can start discussing those ahead of time. Um, and a placeholder for the Old West Lawrence pilot project if we're to the point of having a recommendation. If not, it may be pushed, but that's what we got on the calendar so far. So if there's any questions, let me know. Great. For the study session, is it possible to have uh, maybe Adam join us also from transit? There was a comment that um, Commissioner Finkeldie had at one of the recent city commission meetings about the the way that bus stops were um, designed in a community he visited recently. And it just was one of those, like he noted how unique it was that they, how they designed them and they included art. Um, and it just, it felt very Lawrence-like. <laughs> and I think that would be interesting to get his perspective on how transit can support creating a real unmistakable identity about Lawrence, um, especially if transit is going to be, you know, if the pilot for next year to have uh, fare-free transit, if that works out, that it that becomes how Lawrence is known as a place you can come, get around town, um, on an all-electric bus fleet, you know, it seems like that's the direction we're headed. I mean, those are starting to make Lawrence stand out for a transportation asset. Um, and that's probably not how the unmistakable Lawrence uh, brand ever, you know, came about, thinking about transportation. But that kind of creativity, I think, could be really something we can contribute and transits you know we put a lot of money into transit so maybe there's a way to, to think differently about it so and then i'm not sure if parks and rec is going to be involved in this discussion but the uh, signage that you talked about the the wayfinding that feels like another one of those that starts to create our identity People see signs how to get around town, whether it's on foot, on bike, whatever. But maybe those are connected already. You've already got that all figured out. But uh, I don't know uh, if we've figured it out as far as far as the study session. Derek Rogers is the um, champion of that okay. group, so so maybe he's already made that connection. But I, I yeah. see it as but, a but yeah, it's so it's kind of vague. I mean, it's transportation related, so mm -hmm. it could include transit. Signing, yeah. What I mean, you know, I think the Lawrence Loop's an easy one that we talk about. It's gonna, yep. you know, when it's done. But you know, I guess what else is there? And so there's folks, um, part of that commitment team that are not just city staff. There's ex external mm -hmm. folks that are include included in that group that may have some ideas. So we'll uh, include Adam, invite him as well from Transit. And thank you. Do we have any for the next? November, December, we don't have any study sessions. 
identified or? Well, it's, um, I had put in parentheses community engagement under the future study sessions topic. I hadn't plugged it in yet. We have a new community engagement uh, manager mm -hmm. in the city, uh, in the, uh, not in our department, but for the city. Um, it's working with Porter now. And then we have a new, actually a new community engagement uh, uh, public information officer in our department who just started. And so it might be a good time to have one or both of them attend, get their thoughts, feedback. So um, I talked with Nick a little bit about it and just for now, but put that as November, but unless something else comes up. That sounds like a great um, topic. Mm -hmm. it, was it, was like a, it was about that time last year that we were scheming up the your turn. Mm-hmm. Where we asked, you know, organizations to come and present to us. So I don't know if we we're going to do anything like that this year. Because mm -hmm. we didn't. Did we end up doing it? I thought we had a aspiration to try to do it again this year. Yeah, I thought so too. And it wasn't at the end of the year. We did that. Yeah. Well. Um, or was it the beginning of? Was it January? It was January. Okay. I think the the first one that I came to was in January. That was the. That was the your turn version. Uh huh. Okay. But that was two years ago, and. Oh, was it two years ago? Yeah. Oh well, no, it was it was 2021. Yeah, so 20 so just last year, so. All right. Any other comments, items, discussion? If not, I'll call for a motion to adjourn. Oh. Um, we don't have public comment for staff items or, or calendar, so um, yeah, so we won't be able to take that. Commission items? That, it's the same, Michael. Yeah, commission items also. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, motion to adjourn. So moved. Second? I second. All right. All in, five, all in favor? Aye. 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 Opposed? Okay. Thank, Thank you. Thank you, everyone. <laughs>